Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In this week's episode, we join the Doctor and Leela as they face a mysterious foe in Victorian London. It is the season 14 finale, The Talons of Wing Chiang. As usual, we will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give you our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So as always, you can join the discussion by checking us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E. T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com Now though, as per usual Paddington, I will hand to you for a story recap, please. Thank you very much. In the Palace Theatre in Victorian London, Lee Sin Chang finishes his performance to an appreciative applause. He is met off stage by the theatre manager Henry Gordon Jago, who congratulates him on a successful show and Chang thanks him by the use of his ventriloquist dummy. As they make their way backstage, they are confronted by a man who demands that Chang tell them where his wife is. He says that she was a volunteer in his act last week, but has now disappeared. Jago orders a man to be thrown out, but Chang tells him to let the man come to his dressing room with him so that he can discuss the matter further. Once there, the man says that his wife was behaving strangely since her participation in the show, and he saw her at the stage last night as he was driving his cab past. Chang says that he has no recollection of her, and the man says that he is going to fetch the police. After he leaves... Chang looks at his nearby ventriloquist dummy, who nods at acknowledgement. Meanwhile, Jake was confronted by one of his stagehands, Casey, who says that he has again seen a ghostly apparition in the cellar. Jago accuses him of being drunk, but when Casey says he hasn't touched the drop, he offers him a drink to steady his nerves. He offers to go to investigate the cellar with Casey when the show is over. Elsewhere, the TARDIS lands on a misshrouded street, and Leela emerges wearing men's clothes, despite her disapproval of them. The doctor, dressed in similar to Sherlock Holmes, emerges and says that she has to dress appropriately. He sees a poster for Chang's show at the Palace Theatre and decides to take Leela to see it. As they make their way through the foggy streets, they hear a scream and the doctor tells Leela to stay there whilst he goes to investigate. He comes across a group of Chinese men carrying the body of the man who confronted Chang, who had been just been stabbed to death by the ventriloquist dummy. The men attack the doctor and he does his best to fend them off, but he's quickly overpowered. Leela comes to his aid and fends them off before they flee when they hear a police whistle. The doctor manages to trip one of them and tells Leela to keep an eye on him whilst he chases the others, but they escape. He returns to Leela to find her being questioned by a constable who says that they will all need to go to the station with him. Back at the theatre, Chang is performing his act again to an enthralled audience. He levitates a young lady off the ground, all the time engaging in witty banter with his ventriloquist dummy, which is named Mr. Sin. Whilst he performs for the crowd, Jago watches from the wings and notices blood dripping down Mr. Sin's hand. In the police station, the doctor and Leela are being questioned by the desk sergeant. The doctor frustratedly tells him about the attack in the alley and Leela demands that the prisoner be tortured for information about the dead man. The sergeant says he is sent for an interpreter, but the doctor starts to speak the various dialects of Chinese to see where the prisoner is from. They suddenly hear another police whistle coming from the direction of the river. At the riverside, the police pull a horribly mangled body from the river. A short while later, Chang arrives at the police station as he is the interpreter that was sent for. The doctor says that he recognises him but can't quite place him, leading Chang to assume that he is confusing him with someone else. Chang then sits opposite the prisoner and asks the sergeant for some writing material. While he is gone, Chang discreetly passes the prisoner a red capsule which he eats. The doctor remembers who Chang is, but at that moment the prisoner dies from the effects of the capsule. The doctor investigates the body and notices a tattoo of a scorpion on the man's hand. The doctor says he is a member of the Black Scorpion Tong, a notorious criminal gang which has spread throughout the world. The doctor voices his suspicion of Chang, who says he knows nothing about the gang, and then leaves, telling Leela he hopes to meet her again soon. After he leaves, the doctor tells the sergeant to organise a post-mortem on the body immediately. Back at the theatre, Jago and Casey make their way down into the cellar and discuss the recent disappearances of several young women. Casey says that people are saying Jack the Ripper has returned, but Jago says it is just newspapers drumming up business. 
Before they go down, Jago investigates Chang's dressing room and takes a look at Mr. Sin, confirming that it was blood that he saw. However, he doesn't inform Casey and instead they continue on to the cellar. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Leela make their way to the mortuary. En route, the Doctor explains that the Black Scorpions worship an ancient evil god called Wang Chiang, who they believe will return and enslave the world. In the mortuary, the Doctor meets Professor Lightfoot, the chief pathologist, and they discuss the body that was found in the river. Lightfoot says that the man was killed by a knife to the heart, and that it has since been mauled by some type of animal. The Doctor suggests that they look like rat bites, but Lightfoot says that they would have to be enormous. They go through the body's clothes and find a cab driver's license, revealing him to be the man who earlier accosted Chang. They also find several strands of large rat hairs. The doctor grabs a lantern and tells Leela to stay behind as he leaves the mortuary. As he makes his way down the street, he is tailed by one of the black scorpions who throws an axe at him. The doctor confronts the man, but he falls to the ground and the doctor sees Leela standing behind the man with a blowpipe, having shot him with a Janus thorn. They then make their way back to the place where they first fought the black scorpions and the doctor sees a blood near a manhole cover. They head down into the sewers to see if there is any sign of the gang's hideout. They suddenly hear a loud screeching howl and they flee off down the sewers. Part 2 A gigantic rat chases the Doctor and Leela through the sewer tunnels until they get back to the manhole that they came in. The Doctor covers Leela's escape by throwing the lantern at the creature, which explodes at its feet. He follows Leela out and he explains that the rat is guarding something in the sewers. He leads her back to the police station and asks where he can get a map of the sewer system, but the desk sergeant says that there is none. He then tells the doctor that Professor Lightfoot has requested them to meet him at the mortuary as he wants his help in examining the body of the black scorpion member that Leela killed. The doctor stops Leela from admitting that she killed him and they go and meet Lightfoot. Meanwhile, at the theatre, Jago and Casey go into the cellar and search for any sign of the ghost Casey insists that he saw. Jago finds a replica Native American totem pole left there by one of his acts and he says that that is what Casey must have seen. He also explains that the clanging he heard was the echo of the sluice gates from the river which runs under the theatre closing. As they leave, Jago finds a woman's glove that has the initials of the missing woman, but he doesn't realise it. Jago sees Casey out of the theatre, and after he locks up, he's approached by Chang, who asks to speak to him in his dressing room. Once there, Chang hypnotises him and orders him to forget the confrontation with the cab driver earlier. Jago obeys the command and then goes back about his business. After he leaves, Chang goes down to the cellar and enters a secret hatch into the sewers below the theatre. He enters a rudimentary laboratory and is greeted by a man wearing a helmet and cape who says that they need to carry out their objective of finding his time cabinet. Chang, addressing the man as his lord Wang Chiang, says it is too dangerous, but Wang says that they must, as he is too ill and the disease gets worse each day. He also orders Chang to find another girl to help with his treatments, but again Chang says that each abduction brings them closer to being discovered. Wang says that the abilities he has given Chang will help him out with the police, but Chang informs him of his encounter with the doctor. Wang orders him to kill him as soon as possible, and it then leads him out for their nightly incursion. At the mortuary, Lightfoot tells the Doctor and Leela that he had a zoologist colleague look at the wounds on the body, and he agrees that they were made by an abnormally large rodent. He also says that the knife wound to the heart must have been made by a midget due to the angle of the wound. He then apologises for discussing such things in front of Leela due to her being a woman, but she finds his attitude funny. She starts talking about how the technique used to deliver the blow could disguise the actual height of the attacker. Lightfoot is shocked by her comments, and the doctor says that she is a savage that he found in the Amazon. A constable comes and says that he has the identity of the cab driver, and when he meant to meet his mother-in-law to deliver the news, she told the constable about the disappearance of her daughter and the cab driver going to the theatre to find out what happened to her. Lightfoot tells him to fill out the report for the coroner and then invites the doctor Leela to come to his house for her supper. En route to his house, Lightfoot tells him that he is familiar with the customs of the Chinese as he was brought up in Peking whilst his father served there as a military attaché. 
The doctor suddenly remembers something and tells Leela to stay with Lightfoot and that he will join them after he goes to investigate the theatre. He arrives at the theatre, knocks on the door, and a confused Jago lets him in. The doctor introduces himself, and Jago, thinking that he has come to audition, tells him to come back at the appropriate time. The doctor, censoring something off about him, hypnotises Jago and asks him what was the last instruction given to him. The doctor breaks his conditioning and asks him about Chang's confrontation with the cab driver. Initially doubtful of Chang's involvement with the disappearance, he remembers the glove that he found in the cellar and shows it to the doctor. The doctor then asks to see the cellar, and Jago leads him down into it. As they search it, the doctor finds an overgrown money spider, and he says that something is affecting the genetics of the animals in the area. He asks what's under the theatre, and Jago tells him about the old river tunnel. Meanwhile, Lightfoot and Leela arrive at his house, and they find a selection of cold meats left by his housekeeper. Lightfoot is taken aback as Leela picks up the meat and starts to eat it with her hands. Not to seem rude to her, he also picks up the meat and starts to eat it likewise. At the same time, Chang, Mr. Sin and Wang are in a carriage as they search for any sign of the cabinet. Chang also promises to bring two girls to Wang so that he can distill their life force to help with his illness. Suddenly a stone Wang holds starts to glow and emit a beeping sound and he says that they are close to the cabinet. They get out of the carriage and make their way towards the house where the signal gets stronger, which happens to be Lightfoot's house. Chang tells his weakened master to go back to his hideout and that he will bring the cabinet to him. Back at the theatre, the doctor searches for any sign of the secret entrance when he suddenly sees a ghostly apparition that Casey spoke of. Jago faints from seeing it, and the doctor drags him out of the cellar. He wakes him up and explains that it wasn't a ghost, but was instead a hologram designed to scare people away from the place. He gives the confused Jago a drink to steady his nerves, but suddenly the light in the theatre hall comes on, and Jago says that he saw something moving. The doctor goes to investigate and sees someone moving around in the catwalk above him. He starts to climb up the ladder to follow the figure, but it throws down a pantomime horse at him, causing him to fall backwards. The doctor then gets back up and continues to pursue the figure, who is actually Wang. Wang ambushes the doctor and pushes him off the catwalk onto a painted backdrop, which tears and causes him to fall to the ground. Jago goes to investigate the noise, but he is knocked to the ground by Wang, who flees to the cellar. The doctor helps Jago up, and they go to think of a way to flush Wang out of his hiding place. Meanwhile, back at Lightfoot's house, the professor does his best to teach Leela some table etiquette. He then notices someone moving around outside the house, who he says he thinks is Chinese. He takes a revolver with him to go investigate, and leaves Leela inside. He finds nothing outside, but when he comes back in, he is knocked out by Mr. Sin, who then advances on Leela with a knife. Part 3 Leela backs away and picks up a carving knife from the table and throws it into Mr. Sin's throat, but he still keeps coming. Meanwhile, Chang goes into the hallway and takes Lightfoot's gun, but hears someone whistling as they approach the house. He goes outside and lays in wait in the bushes for the figure. He seizes the doctor and prepares to shoot him, but at that moment, Leela, in an effort to escape Mr. Sin, breaks through the dining room window. The doctor takes coverage just as Chang starts to shoot, but the bullets miss. The doctor runs around to the side of the house and meets up with Leela. She says that Lightfoot went to investigate outside, and the doctor goes into the house through another window. Leela spots Chang and Mr. Sin leaving in a carriage and chases after it, stowing away in the travel box at the back of the carriage. The doctor emerges from the house and tries to call her back, but it is too late. He goes back into the house and helps Lightfoot recover. Lightfoot says that they may have come to rob his house as he has quite a number of valuable Chinese artefacts, including a large ornate puzzle box that was a gift from the Emperor. The doctor takes a look at it and is amazed by something of that level of technology existing on Earth at that time. He then realises that it must be the cabinet of Wang Chiang. He then voices his concern for Leila, who at that moment follows Chiang into the theatre, but loses sight of him as he enters the secret tunnel to his master's lair. In the laboratory, Wang gives out to Chiang about his failure to retrieve the cabinet, but Chang says that he will send members of the Black Scorpion gang to get it back. 
Wang says that he had better hurry as his lair is no longer safe as the doctor knows where it is and it is only a matter of time before he returns. He then starts coughing in order to Chang to find him two more victims for him to steal her life essence so that he can stay alive long enough to get the cabinet back. With his master con- ignoring his concern, Chang obeys and leaves for the theatre, once again followed by Leela. The next morning at Lightfoot's house, the professor finds the doctor drawing on the tablecloth of the dining table and asks if there is anyone on Leela. The doctor says that there isn't, but that he must hurry as he has an idea of what has happened to the missing girls and that they need to find the entrance to Wang Chang's lair. He shows life with the drawing that he has done of the tablecloth, which is a rough blueprint of the various waterways that connect to the Fleet River and the theatre. Lightfoot then takes the tablecloth to the laundry basket to prevent his housekeeper finding it. The doctor then asks if he has an elephant gun, telling the bemused Lightfoot that they are in a lot of danger and that they will need proper weapons. Lightfoot gets him the gun and the doctor then asks him to organise a boat so they can trace the riverways to find the entrance to the lair. Meanwhile, Leela tracks Chang through the city and watches as he hypnotises a woman. She follows him as he leads her away back to the theatre, where he leaves the woman in the dressing room. He then goes when he hears the sound of the cleaning staff, and he attempts to ensnare one of them as well. Meanwhile, Leela enters the dressing room and finds the first woman still in a hypnotic state. She quickly swaps clothes with the woman and then takes her place, covering her face with a shawl, causing Chang not to recognise her when he comes in to take her to Wing Chiang. Wings voices his displeasure at the victims, saying that Leela is too muscular to provide the necessary life force. Chang says that he found whoever he could and again warns his master that more kidnappings will eventually lead the police to finding them. Wang tells him that it won't matter once they have the cabinet again and then orders Chang to leave so that he can start the distillation process. At the same time, the Doctor and Lightfoot are making their way via a boat to the river entrance near the theatre. Lightfoot voices his concern over their endeavour, especially as he says the gun he gave the Doctor hasn't been fired in nearly 50 years and could explode when used. The Doctor tells him not to worry as they approach their destination. The doctor enters the sewers and tells Lightfoot to wait for him for two hours and if he doesn't come back, then he is to leave. In the laboratory, Wang begins to start the distillation process on the girl, but he is attacked by Leela, who knocks him to the ground. She tries to save the cleaning girl, but she is already dead, and so she tries to escape through the secret entrance. Wang fires a laser blaster at her, and she dives for cover before fleeing through a nearby sewer grate. Wang sounds a gong, summoning the giant rats to hunt her down. Back at Lightfoot's house, two Chinese men drop off a laundry basket and take the one from his house before leaving again. Back at the theatre, the other woman wakes up and stumbles out of the dressing room where she is confronted by Casey, who assumes she is a thief. He tries to throw her out, but their scuffle is heard by Jago, who asks what's going on. The woman sees a poster of Chang on the wall, and she flees from the building. Jago then tells a bemused Casey about his encounter with the doctor, and says that he is keeping an eye on things for him. Unbeknownst to him, they are being observed by Chang, goes to report to Wang only to be berated by him, blaming him for the attack by Leela. Chang says that she is the doctor's accomplice and Wang dismisses him from his service. Chang begs him to allow it to be remain his servant and vows to kill the doctor for him, but Wang tells him to leave whilst he imbues himself with the life essence from the cleaning girl. Meanwhile, Leela flees down the sewers away from the giant rat and she encounters the doctor, taking aim with the gun. However, she trips and falls, allowing the giant rat to seize her by the leg. She then cries out as it starts to drag her back through the sewers. Part 4. The doctor readjusts his aim and fires, killing the rat which falls on top of Leela. He helps her up, asking if she's okay, but she says that she deserves death due to her failure to kill Wang. Leela offers to show the doctor the way to his lair, but they hear another giant rat in the distance, and the doctor says that they should retreat for now. At the theatre, Jago tells Casey that he is going to the local tavern, but he is stopped by Chang before he can leave. Chang tells him that he would be performing tonight without Mr. Sin, leading Jago to joke about him must have come down with a case of woodworm. 
Chang then goes to prepare for his performance. Back at Lightfoot's house, Leela tells the doctor about what he, she saw in Wing's lair. The doctor says that Wing is insane as the life force distillation is incredibly dangerous. Lightfoot then arrives with new clothing for Leela and tells her that his housekeeper will help her get dressed. Lightfoot then expresses his exasperation over women's fashions to the doctor, but he is too preoccupied with the puzzle cabinet. He says that it can only be opened with a key of the correct molecular combination. Lightfoot asks him what they were talking about before he came in, and the doctor says that the owner of the cabinet is masquerading as Wang Chiang and that he wants it back. The conversation stops when Leela comes back in wearing a very fashionable evening dress. The doctor and Leela compliment her on her appearance, and the doctor says that they will head to the theatre that evening. Later, a cab arrives to come to collect them, and the doctor tells Lightfoot to arm himself in preparation for another raid on the house. Lightfoot tells him that he'll be ready, and that the police will be sending a constable to patrol outside as well. In his lair, Wang is packing several pieces of equipment away in a bag when Chang arrives to speak to him. He tells him to leave, but Chang says that he overheard Jago saying that the doctor would be coming to the theatre tonight. He vows to kill him as a sacrifice to Wang, but Wang tells him that he will no longer want him in his service, and again tells him to leave. Up in the theatre hall, Jago greets the doctor and Leela in one of the balcony boxes and asks if there's any further progress on the case, and the doctor says that they will find out more shortly. Jago again offers his assistance, and the doctor takes him up on the offer, saying that they will work together when the time is right. Jago then goes onto the stage to start the evening's entertainment. Meanwhile, Wang emerges from his lair and kills Casey, who at that moment is preparing the stage trapdoor for Chang's act. Jago gives Chang a bombastic introduction, and the magician comes to the stage and begins his act. He comes to a card trick and looks for a volunteer, picking out the doctor. He throws him a pack of cards and asks him to select ones so that the audience can see. He then says that he will fire a revolver at the deck, but only damage the card that was selected. The doctor, where even an assassination attempt staged as an accident, moves the deck in front of his face, forcing Chang to make good on the trick. The trick works, and Chang tells the doctor to come down to the stage to help him in the next act. Chang and his stage assistant bring out a large cabinet, and he instructs the doctor to get into it. As part of the routine, Chang turns the box around for the benefit of the audience to show them that there are no trick sides to it, but the doctor gets out in front and walks off to the side, causing the audience to laugh. Chang sees that the cabinet is empty and saves face by sharing a joke with the crowd. His assistant gets into the cabinet and Chang begins to drive swords through the side. Meanwhile, back at Lightfoot's house, a group of black scorpions approach the house and kill the constable outside. Inside, Lightfoot does notice anything amiss as he has fallen asleep. Also inside, Mr. Sin emerges from the laundry basket that was dropped off earlier. Back at the theatre, the doctor reappears and hands Chang a sword to finish off the act. Chang then removes the swords and asks the doctor to help him open the door. However, instead of his assistant, they find Casey's dead body inside the cabinet. Jago orders the st- a stagehand to drop the curtain and the doctor looks at the body, saying that he died of fright. Leela arrives and asks if Chang had anything to do with it, but the doctor says that he didn't and they didn't notice that he's gone. Doctor heads for the cellar and finds the entrance to the secret tunnel and confronts Chang, who was looking for Wang. Chang tries to commit suicide by a poison capsule, but the doctor manages to stop him. He then asks him about his first meeting with Wang, and Chang says that he appeared in a cabinet of fire, very ill from his journey. He says that he hid him and nursed him back to health whilst Imperial soldiers searched the area and took the cabinet back to the Emperor. Jago arrives and Chang uses the distraction of his arrival to flee into the sewers, sealing the gate behind him. The doctor tells Leela that he will most likely die in the tunnels due to the other giant rats and that there is no point chasing him. A short while later, they hear his screams of terror and that he, as he is attacked by the giant rats. Leela finds the clothing of the missing girls and then notices that the distillation chamber is missing. The doctor then reveals that Wang is actually killing himself. 
He reveals that his arrival in the time cabinet damaged him severely, splicing open his DNA, and that each new life essence he absorbs will call him to mutate and deform further. Jago senses a business opportunity as the lair could be used as a tourist attraction, but he follows after the Doctor and Leela as they leave. Back at Lightfoot's house, the Professor is laid out on the floor as Wang and Mr. Sin leave with the cabinet, both of them laughing and howling maniacally as they drive off in the carriage. Part 5 The Doctor and Leela arrive back at the house and find the body of the constable. They go inside and find Lightfoot, who slowly gets up off the floor. He tells him that he was attacked by the Black Scorpions, and the Doctor notices that the cabinet is missing. Lightfoot says he doesn't know how they got in, and the Doctor notices the laundry basket in the hallway. He says that someone small enough must have been inside it and let them in, and Leela says that it was probably Mr. Sin. The Doctor then remembers something and tells them that Mr. Sin is actually something called the Peking Homunculus. He tells them that it was a gift for the children of the Commissioner of the Icelandic Alliance in the year 5000. It was mainly robotic in design, but it had one organic component, the cerebral cortex of a pig. He says that somehow the pig cortex overrode the machinery and nearly started World War VI when it killed the commissioner. He says that Wang must have taken it with him back in time to the Victorian era. He says that it has now become completely bloodthirsty and only lives for carnage. Lightfoot is amazed at the concept of time travel, but the doctor says that the cabinet is unrefined and and a dangerous method of travel and was never successful outside of Wang arriving alive. He then asks Lightfoot if he knows where the laundry house is based, and he says that it is in one of the city's criminal areas. The doctor says they need to go there to find the cabinet, as it is extremely dangerous. He tells him that the energy used by the cabinet is highly volatile, and if Wang uses it incorrectly, it could cause a catastrophic explosion. Lightfoot voices his concern at Leela going to such a dangerous area, but the doctor says that nothing is as dangerous as Wang as at that moment. Meanwhile, in his new lair, Wang basks in his triumph, but he discovers that one of his underlings forgot to bring his equipment bag from the old lair. Wang forces him to commit suicide by a poison, much to the evil delight of Mr. Sin. At that moment, Jago, in the middle of mapping out his newest tourist attraction, finds the bag. As he investigates it, he notices a hand appear out of the secret tunnel, and he flees with the bag. A short while later, Jago arrives at Lightfoot's house and mistakes the professor for the housekeeper due to him wearing an apron whilst he cleans up the living room after the attack. Lightfoot clears up the confusion and Jago apologises in his own unique way before showing him the bag that he took from the secret lair. Lightfoot says that there is a good chance that they are important to Wang Chiang and that he may return to the theatre for them and he suggests that they go and keep watch on the theatre. A nervous Jago says that he isn't prepared for a nighttime stakeout but Lightfoot says that he will give him some warm clothing and tells Jago to leave a note for the doctor. He then says he hopes to repay some of the injuries he received in the attack. At the laundry house, the doctor and Leela sneak in and Leela notices the smell of opium in the air. They begin to look around and are startled when Chang calls out to them from a bed in the corner. They see that one of his legs is missing and the doctor comments that he thought that he had died. Chang says that it was only his will to seek revenge against Wang that is what kept him alive, but he says that he will die soon. Doctor and Leela ask him where Wang's hideout is and he says that it is in the house of the dragon and warns them to beware the eyes of the dragon but then becomes delirious as a result of the opium he's been taking to ease his pain. Doctor presses him for information, and Chang reaches over and presses his foot before dying. At that moment, a group of black scorpions return from searching for the bag, and Wang berates them for their failure. He turns to the window and sees Jago and Lightfoot watching the building, having followed the gang members back to the house of the dragon, and he orders them to be captured. Outside, Jago suggests waiting somewhere safer, but Lightfoot says that one of them will need to keep a watch on the building, whilst the other goes to get the Doctor and Leela. However, they are suddenly surrounded by the gang members and are brought in to face Wang. Inside, Lightfoot and Jago are presented to Wang and they tell him that the police are on their way. Wang slaps Lightfoot, calling him a liar, and starts to choke Jago, asking him why they were waiting at the theatre for his men. 
Jago does his best to resist, but Lightfoot eventually reveals that they went there to see if someone would try and collect the bag from it. He then reveals that the bag is at his house, and Wang orders them to be taken away and put in a cell. In the cell, the duo finds several young girls, all of which are unconscious in preparation for the distillation process. Lightfoot looks for a way out, but Jago says that the doctor will surely come and find them. Lightfoot then finds an old dumb waiter on the wall, and he says that he can escape through it. They emerge into an abandoned dining room and make their way through the building, but are eventually recaptured. Back at Lightfoot's house, the doctor and Leela return and find Jago's note on top of the bag. They search through it and the doctor finds the key for the time cabinet. Leela says that they should hurry as Lightfoot and Jago could be in danger, but the doctor says that they have been gone a long time, as evidenced by the cold embers in the fireplace. He instead says that Wang will have most likely captured them by now, and once they have told him about the bag, he will come to search the house to retrieve it. Leela says that they should prepare for battle, and gets the doctor to help her search the house for weapons. The doctor says that she would have been much happier at the Battle of Agincourt as he leaves to find more weapons. Alila starts to gauge what they have assembled so far, including testing a cricket bat as a war club and a golf club as a javelin. Suddenly, she is attacked by Wang, who attempts to drug her with chloroform. She fights back, pulling his mask open to reveal a half-melted face. Part 6 Alila passes out from the effects of the chloroform and collapses to the floor before being taken away by one of Wang's men. Wang takes a seat at the table and rearranges his mask, just as the doctor comes back in, saying that they were expecting him. The doctor sits down as well, but suddenly Mr. Sin and several gang members appear and surround him. He warns Wang not to harm Leela, but Wang ignores his threat and instead demands the keys to the cabinet. The doctor then moves to the end of the table and starts to empty his pockets. Wang, growing more frustrated with the doctor's frivolity, says they will have Mr. Sin kill Leela unless he gives him the key. The doctor produces it, but continues to goad Wang, saying that he might drop it due to being surrounded by everyone. Wang orders his men to back off. The doctor says that he will give the key so long as he is brought to the house of the dragon, saying that he also wants Jago and Lightfoot to be let go. Wang agrees and orders everyone to leave, but the doctor demands that Leela be left behind. An exasperated Wang agrees, and Leela is left on the floor as everyone leaves the house. A few moments later, she gets up, having managed to fight off the effects of the chloroform, and follows after the doctor and the others, taking a carving knife with her. At the house of the dragon, Lightfoot tells Jago that it is nearly dawn, and that the theatre manager nervously asks if they will be sacrificed in some sort of ritual. Lightfoot reassures him that he knows of no such ceremony practiced by the Chinese, and Jago expresses his relief, admitting that he is a coward by nature. Lightfoot, however, reassures him that he trusts him and his abilities if things should come to a head. In the main chamber, the doctor mocks Wang for his using the distillation machine, saying that it is a dark age science. Wang is amazed at the doctor's knowledge of the time that he comes from, and asks how he could get that information. The doctor ignores him and instead asks him where Mr. Sin is, who unbeknownst to them is observing them from inside a large dragon statue at the top of the room. Wang again demands to know how the doctor knows about Mr. Sin's true nature, and the doctor reveals that he fought in the final battle of the conflict that Mr. Sin started when it assassinated the Icelandic commissioner. The doctor demands to know who Wang really is, and Wang says his real name is Magnus Greel. The doctor names him the Butcher of Brisbane and calls him a war criminal due to the numerous victims of the slaughters he ordered as part of his role as the Minister of Justice. Greel says that he is only labelled a criminal as his side lost the war and that no one remembers all the scientific advancements he made for humanity. The doctor tells him that the experiments of his time travel technology were a complete failure and that his journey was the only successful one but at the cost of his ruined body. Their argument is stopped when Jago and Lightfoot are brought out. The trio have a brief reunion before the doctor tells them to leave. Lightfoot tells them about the girls being held in captivity and the doctor tells them to take them with them. Greel angrily states that he will listen to no more of the Doctor's demands and signals to Mr. Sin and the Dragon, who fires a stun ray from the Dragon's eyes. The Doctor's tent falls to the ground and Greel takes the key from him before ordering them all to be imprisoned again. 
Meanwhile, Leela has made her way into the house of the dragon and knocks out a guard as he makes his way through the hallways. In their cell, the doctor comes back around and Lightfoot says that he has been only out for a few minutes. He then notices the unconscious girls and says that Greel will be coming for them soon and that they need to do something. He gets Jake and Lightfoot to move them to the corner while he starts gathering bits and pieces from around the room. In the main chamber, Wang promises Mr. Sin that he can kill the doctor after he has taken all his knowledge from him so that he can leave with complete control over his time cabinet. As he rings a gun to summon his underlings, he is attacked by Leela who attempts to kill him. However, she is stopped when several gang members enter the room and Greel prepares to kill her in revenge. He stops and instead decides to put her into the distillation machine. Leela vows to hunt him down in the afterlife, but he ignores her and instructs his men to bring the other girls to the chamber. However, once they arrive at the cell, they set off an explosive booby trap made by the doctor using a gas pipe from the wall. The doctor tells the girls to flee and instructs Jago and Lightfoot to follow him, picking up one of the gang members' axes as he does so. They arrive back at the main chamber just as Greel starts the distillation process and the doctor throws the axe into the control console, causing it to short out and explode. He then takes Leela from the machine and they all take cover as Greel orders Mr. Sint to open fire on them. Greel offers to let them go, but the doctor and Leela voice their scepticism, which has proved to be correct when Mr. Sint fires at the doctor when he pops up his head. The doctor calls out that Greel will probably die before they do, and they are content to wait him out, leading Greel to order Mr. Sint to destroy their cover. The doctor rushes to the extraction cabinet, whilst Mr. Sint continues to fire on the cover. Suddenly a group of gang members enter to attack Leela and the others from behind, but the maniacal Mr. Sint kills them as well as his bloodthirsty nature takes over. Greel orders him to stop, but he ignores him. Leela spots a gun on the floor, and Jago presents himself as a target so that she can get it. He dives back to safety once she gets it, but her unfamiliarity with the weapon causes her shots to go wild. Greel makes a run for the time cabinet, but the doctor tells him that it is too dangerous. Greel ignores him, but is forced to take cover as Mr. Sin starts to fire on him as well. Leela rushes forward and shoots out the eyes of the dragon statue, rendering it useless. Greel sneaks up on her with a pistol, but the doctor tackles him and throws him into the distillation machine. The machine activates and turns Greel to dust. Jago and Lightfoot emerge from cover and ask what happened, but the doctor warns Leela as Mr. Sin attacks her. He wrestles the killer doll off her and throws it to the ground before ripping out its primary fuse. The doctor then smashes the key to the time cabinet. Outside, they hear a muffin vendor calling out, and the doctor says that he'll bide them around to celebrate. Back at the TARDIS, Lightfoot explains a proper tea etiquette to Leela before the doctor says it's time to go. They enter the TARDIS where he continues to explain to Leela how to make a proper cup of tea. Outside, Jago and Lightfoot discuss the train's machine as it disappears, and Jago says that Chang would have appreciated the illusion. End of the story. Very good, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So, now that we have finished our Victorian adventure, we will now move on to the trivia spot. So, what have you got for us this week? Cool. So, The Talents of Wang Chiang aired from the 26th of February to the 2nd of April, 1977. The writer of the story is Robert Holmes. This is Bob's 11th story out of 18. His previous stories were The Crotons, The Space Pirates, Spirit from Space, Tower of the Autons, Carnival of Monsters, The Time Warrior, The Ark in Space, Pyramids of Mars, The Brain of Morbius, and The Deadly Assassin. We'll see his work again in The Sunmakers, The Rivals Operation, The Power of Crawl, The Caves of Androzony, The Two Doctors, The Mysterious Planet, and The Ultimate Foe. The director of the story is David Maloney. This is the final directing credit for David. His previous stories were The Mind Robber, The Crotons, The War Games, A Bit of Frontier in Space, 
Planet of the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks, Planet of Evil, and The Deadly Assassin. David is one of our favorite directors, I think. In terms he, of the show. he's done a lot of our our, our favorite stories, or stories that we found really, really good. Um, this story had the working titles of The Foe from the Future and The Talons of Greel. Uh, this story was originally going to be about the master. So Weng Chiang uh, was originally going to be the decayed master that we saw in Deadly Assassin. But Phil Pinchcliffe didn't want to have the master revealed as a secret villain twice in the same season, which I think would also have been a bit of crap. Yeah. Um, however, there are still several clues in the story that that was the original plan, like the time cabinet, which you could read in the TARDIS, and Greel referring to the first morsel to feed my next or to feed my regeneration. So it's a couple of bits in the script that sort of tie over. The the hideously deformed villain as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um some association influences have been noted for talents of Wang Chan, most of which you probably I mean, they practically slap in the face of them. Uh the whole idea of Magnus Greel having a layer beneath the theatre, having a deformed face, the mask he uses to hide his deformed face, the climatic scene where the mask gets ripped off to reveal his true face is clearly just the phantom of the opera. Yeah. <laughs> um, throughout the serial, the Doctor wears an Inverness cape and a Deerstalker hat, which is meant to make him look like Sherlock Holmes, which was apparently Tom's idea. Uh, Philip Inchip didn't particularly want him going around just like Sherlock Holmes, but Tom really liked him. Um, the name of Lightfoot's housekeeper is Mrs. Hudson, who is also the housekeeper of 22 Bunby Baker Street. And Tom Baker at one point says, Elementary, my dear Lightfoot, obviously parrying Elementary, my dear Watson. The giant rat is reminiscent of animals grown to enormous size in H.G. Wells' science fiction novel, Food of the Gods, and also echoes an untold Sherlock Holmes story. Um, in The Adventure of the Sussex Vampire, Holmes mentions the, di- the giant rat of Sumatra, um, which sort of ties in as well. Lastly, Lee Hsien Chang is reminiscent of Fu Manchu, uh, the Chinese villain of the series of novels by Sax Romer, and the films based on Dos. This is the only story in the Fourth Doctor's era in which he does not wear his scarf at any point in time, due to the whole idea of the Doctor wearing the Sherlock Holmes outfit mm-hmm. throughout the entire story. This is also one of only two stories in which Leela doesn't wear her quote-unquote savage costume, or her skins, as the Doctor calls it. Um, because she was originally sort of inspired by Eliza Doolittle, it was decided to try to move her away from her Seventeen outfit. And so that's why she's put in period dress in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, completely apropos of nothing, um, the reveal of her in like the full dress that Lightfoot gets her and like the Doctor's reaction, that, that was apparently Tom's idea. He thought it would be really nice for the Doctor to be kind of taken yeah. aback. And sort of like, oh, wow, look at yeah, that. And it, is, it is a really nice moment. It really is. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, the conductor of the Palace Theatre's orchestra is actually Dudley Simpson, who has done much of the music for Doctor Who. Because he's not a member of the Actors Union Equity, he had to be paid a special fee in order to, to appear on screen. Uh, according to Louise Jameson, the scene where the Doctor and Leela climbed down into the sewer took a number of attempts to film because the first attempt actually was perfect. But there were spectators watching and a little boy shouted, go on, doctor. <laughs> so they had to keep trying to do it again. But eventually David Maloney used the first take and edited out the little boy's interruption. That must be so difficult. Mm. Like, it, like, I imagine it's difficult for filming anything, particularly like filming Doctor Who, um, where like 
it's been filmed across the UK for so many years. Like, how often must they, like, have, like, you know, people watch them as they film and, you know, disrupting takes and Yeah, stuff like like that. and especially, like, seeing as how, like, since... If you're even going to just say, like, since 66, since uh, Troughton took over, like, the show has been, like, on a huge incline in terms of popularity and now you're, you're coming to the actual kind of, I suppose, modern-day things where people actually go to where they know they're shooting and they just wait there. Yeah. Like, it's one thing for them to do it now, like, where they take photos and stuff, but you can imagine, like, the amount of times that, like, takes get interrupted by people screaming and whatever. Uh, the sewer scenes for Louise Jameson were not great. Uh, first of all, she had glandular fever, so that was awkward and uncomfortable. Um, but also, the undergarments of her costume became very transparent when they got wet. There's no underwear in space. And in Victorian London, you shouldn't get your white underwear wet. Um, however, in spite of that, she did still name this her second favourite serial. Apparently, The Sunmakers, which is also written by Ralph Holmes, is her favourite. So we'll see about that next time. At one point, there's a large pile of straw in the road <laughs> when Wang Chang is searching for the cabinet. That's there because even though they had sent out notices asking for local residents to not park their cars on the street, this car was parked in the street because <laughs> they discovered it. <laughs> they discovered it in the straw. Which I don't know. Like If I was someone living on that street and I left my car there, I think I'd be quite pissed if I came home <laughs> yeah. and my car was covered in straw. What the fuck? <laughs> um, again, I mentioned two weeks ago about Philip Hinchcliffe leaving this is now the final Doctor Who story to be produced by Philip Hinchcliffe, who's been helming the show since the Ark in Space in 1975. By the time Bob Holmes started writing this story, it had become apparent that Philip, and possibly Bob Holmes as well, would be leaving the show at the end of the season, like we've said, like in terms of The Deadly Assassin, there was a lot of sort of backlash at Philip for the direction he was taking the show. So he basically said, fuck it, and he spent record amounts of money on the production utilising as many different locations and agreeing to expensive night shoots as he possibly could <laughs> and actually in the behind the sofa segment on the blu-ray for this um, he actually recalls how on their last day like when they do the filming on set they like start at 7 and finish at 10 or whatever like, it's very much like still sort of um, record as if you're doing a play almost type thing mm-hmm. Um, and they ran massively over. He asked for an extra 30 minutes, which, you know, in those days was like the unions were really strict. And so he got his extra 30 minutes and they still weren't finished and he had to go back again and ask for more time. And again, like it's not only are you sort of asking the higher ups, like you have to ask the guys on the day like to please stay and like their, their unions are very strict in terms of what they're allowed to work. So it's entirely possible that the final production wouldn't have been what it turned out to be because if they had said no and walked off they would have had no choice but to cut around it and it could have been a very very different experience because obviously this is the final story of the season they, they couldn't carry over any shooting days. i think your trivia like when we come to late like you know the from the peter davison era onwards like i have a feeling that unions and union rules are going to come up a lot in certain trivia <laughs> points yeah and I would just like to say that unions 
standing by their people is awesome. However, when you're trying to create something and the union rules are going against you, I can understand that people get slightly frustrated. So during production of this story, Graham Williams, who's taking over from Philip Hinchcliffe, um, he was present um, on site and he was really concerned about Leela. Um, he approached Louise Jameson with an offer to stay on for season 15. And this was actually at odds with the promise that Philip Hinchcliffe had made to Tom mm-hmm. that Leela would be written out at the end of season 14. So we mentioned before how Tom didn't really take to the character of Leela. He didn't like having a companion in the first place. And he felt that Leela was too violent for the show. Mm-hmm. And so Philip had obviously said to him, well, look, we'll just do it for the next few stories and then we'll write her out. And obviously here was this new producer wanting her to stay on. Louise wasn't entirely gone on the idea. Um, A, because she didn't have the best relationship with Tom, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. But also, the contact lenses that she was compelled to were really ruining her eyes. Um, and so, Graham Williams offered to relinquish the need for contact lenses, which we'll see in a future story. They actually write it in. Mm-hmm. To the it's story. actually the next story. It's uh, horror. Oh, it yeah, it's horror Bang rock. Oh, right. Um, and Louise went on to sign a contract for season 15. So, again, more sort of background stuff there with Tom. That, again, you know, we can talk about it when we're talking about the Doctor and Leela. But, you know, I'll just say now, like, it's, it's great that we're not seeing much of this frostiness on screen. Um, because it sounds like a really difficult working environment. Um... Henry Gordon Jago and George Lightfoot. This is their only appearance on the show. However, if you are a fan of Big Video, Big Finish audio series, you know that Jago and Lightfoot went on to have many adventures. I, I've listened to the first three seasons. They're fucking brilliant. Leela actually comes back for one story. Uh, it's it's really cool. I think, I think I I think they have like the longest running spin off series. On Big Finish because they they had like nearly eleven series before. We'll get to the trivia point there, but uh, mm-hmm. they got to play as uh, Professor Lightfoot died. Uh, I think Christopher yeah. Benjamin still. It's alive. either them or it's Bernice Summerfield. Yeah, one of the two of them, I think, would be the longest, like of a continuous mm. series. And like, it'd be one. Yeah, and it's great. Like apparently, like future doctors have actually come back. You know, have come into some of the adventures. Yeah. They're just really good. Vic- Victorian gothic of style, like just essentially this kind of style, uh, they're just really, really good, really, really good. Okay, so we mentioned this a little bit at the end of last week's story, and we cannot avoid the big giant dragon in the room. No. <laughs> Despite the story continuing to be acclaimed by Doctor Who fans, many people cite it in their top five. Mm-hmm. It regularly appearing in top five lists in terms of best Doctor Who stories ever. The show has garnered a lot of controversy, particularly in relation to its stereotypical portrayals of the Chinese. So most of this is taken from the TARDIS wiki, so you can go read that and look at the citations if you want to, but I was going to summarise a lot of it. So I mentioned that Fu Manchu was one of the inspirations. That was very deliberate on Philip Hinchcliffe's part. That's what he came to Robert Holmes with. Um, and that decision and the subsequent impact on the story 
it's kind of been the initial source of a lot of the controversy and the criticism. A lot of it actually came from the US and Canada, where racial stereotyping and the usage of yellowface had already fallen into disfavor many years earlier. You know, people have said that, you know, there are other Asian looking characters in the story, Mm -hmm. largely in the supporting cast. So why did you need to have a white British actor put on so much makeup to the point where he can't even blink Mm -hmm. in order to play a Chinese character? Yeah. Um, And also that, you know, Chinese people had been campaigning and protesting against the depiction of Fu Manchu since the 1920s. So really hard there. I I, Um, I was I actually read up a small bit about Fu Manchu last night because I've never actually seen any of the Fu Manchu mm -hmm. movies. Never seen any of them. Um, But there was a there was a time period where uh, so Sax Romer, the guy that wrote these stories, he couldn't he wasn't able to sell any books he was able to write any books nor was it allowed to be any movies made about Fu Manchu and the reason that 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 happened is because during that time China was fighting Japan and the US Mm. didn't want to alienate China as an ally because they were about to go into the war for uh, against the Japanese so they didn't want Mm. to like basically have a fucking fight on two fronts but then after the war ended then it kind of like that that stance lessened an awful lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Canadian syndication of the run on TV Ontario in 1980 dropped the story, didn't air it at all, due to complaints from the local Chinese Canadian community, um, who cited it as dangerous, offensive, racist stereotyping to assert that the Chinese with everything fearful and despicable. It was not shown on Los Angeles television after 1985 for similar reasons, this time involving a local sponsor of Asian Extraction, who did not want to be shown. Another strong point of criticism is Jago's use, use of the slur Celestial, which we actually discussed for the celest- many, many ce- moons ago. Celestial Toymaker. With the Celestial Toymaker. And the fact that that slur goes unchallenged by the Doctor. Also, the doctor himself makes a number of unpleasant remarks to do with Chang's eyebrows, referring to the Chinese that attacked the guy missing his wife at the beginning as little men, like little this little man and other little men, etc. Also, Lightfoot uses the word chinks, which is also a racial slur. <laughs> and Greel goes on to refer to Chang's henchmen as opium addicted scum like no i don't think the doctor heard jago say celestial i think he's, he says celestial to casey but the doctor does hear the word chink and it's yeah. like i have i have comments about that not just for the doctor but for also for lightfoot himself uh in yeah. a character point of view yeah so there there's more uh sergeant kyle uses the phrase chinny mm-hmm. leela who could perhaps be given a pass uh, refers to Chang as the yellow one, but no one corrects her. Um, someone calls Chang Mr. Chin Chin, and there's also use of the phrase Tong Wallace. Some fans have commented that the moment where the doctor appears to speak Chinese is actually nonsense, which is true. 
the script just says speaks Chinese. They didn't actually give him any lines to learn. I, I think the, it's complete. Nonsense. I think the only thing he says that is some bit legible Chinese is he like when he first talks to the um, the prisoner in the police station. He says Ni Hao, which I know yeah, it, that's that, it. That's it. Everything else though is yeah. apparently nonsense. I just Tom was told to say something in Chinese. Uh, following all of this concern over the years and ongoing concerns by fans about the story, um, BritBox has put a trigger warning in front of this, saying contains stereotypes that some may find offensive. Um, which I think this is the only story they. It have is, and it's like it's strange because like we've like we brought up uncomfortable topics on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. But there's no like there's no trigger warning on the time meddler for sexual assault, uh, nor is there any. Now I I don't know what the status of the crusade is on Britbox nor Marco Polo, but see Marco Polo because it's not complete, it's missing. There is yellow face in that, but it's not. But there's also there's black and brown face in the crusade, and there's as far as I'm aware, the two episodes are on Britbox. There's no trigger warning for that. So I'm just wondering, is it why is it specifically this story that gets the I trigger? I think because warning? this story has so so much of it. The entire story is predicated on offensive stereotypes of the Chinese. Like the entire thing, there isn't an entire. There's almost isn't. There's very few scenes that go past without something, you know, out, outstandingly offensive or something someone could consider offensive things i i wonder and see like this is because you know me like one one movie that i really really enjoy watching is big trouble in mm-hmm. little china and th- that's had a the discussion point of it like you know, is it racist is it not racist um the, that discussion i think like it's like blazing saddles it'll never go away mm-hmm. um but like i think had they included a Chinese, like a Chinese companion or like some someone on the protagonist side that was of asian extraction would that would that have kind of I won't say mitigate no, mitigated so much? Some, like some people have said that like had they had a Chinese actor playing Chang, mm-hmm. or had they had more or any good Chinese character, like m- many people have said that that doesn't take away from the offensive stuff. So, you know, even if you had um, a Chinese actor or an actor of Chinese extraction playing Chang. There's everything else. Mm. And people are like, you know, it's not just the yellow face. The yellow face is part of it, but that's not the only part. And, you know, you could probably rewrite the story 50 million times to remove all of the offensive stuff. You know, add in a scene here, add a, you know, in-story criticism there. And it could probably work. But, you know, what ifs aren't yeah. what the story's about. No, it's, it's, what, it's, so what, it's what you're presenting. Yeah. You know, and the the premise that it's based on is what people have an issue with. But like I said, and this is where, you know, we'd really love to hear everyone's feedback on this. Some people cite this is their favorite story ever. You know, it's regularly top of the rankings in terms of either all time favorite Doctor Who stories or, you know, favorite classic Doctor Who stories or whatever. Um, So I'm really interested. I mean, I'm interested to see what our discussion goes like later on. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'm really interested to hear what our listeners have to think about it because 
I'm curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as well. Okay, let's talk about the cast for a second. So as Lightfoot, we have Trevor Baxter. This is the only on-screen Doctor Who credit for Trevor. He did a number of Doctor Who audio stories, though, including uh, Jago and Lightfoot. But he did a number of other ones as well, not just Jago and Lightfoot. Um, his non-Who credits include Doctor Faustus, Adam Adamant Lives, The Life of Henry V, Jack the Ripper, Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow, and My Family. Trevor passed away in 2017. Jago is played by Christopher Benjamin. This is the second of three appearances for Christopher. We previously saw him in Inferno, and we'll see him again in The Unicorn and the Watts. He also did a number of Doctor Who audio stories, not just Jago and Lightfoot. Mr. Sin is played by Deep Roy. Uh, only Doctor Who credited appearance, though he does later appear uncredited in Mind Warp. His non-Who credits include, oh my god... <laughs> The New Avengers, The Pink Panther Strikes Again, Blake Seven, Flash Gordon, The Dark Crystal, Return of the Jedi, Return to Oz, The X-Files. Horrific episode. Trying the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, and he's also in the Star Trek movies. He was actually at uh, the 56-year mission in Las Vegas that I went to. Oh, cool. Did not meet him because i controversial. I'm not a big fan of the newer Star Trek movies. Which I think he's in. He he's um in the first movie, you know, when they meet Scotty. He's yeah. Scotty's alien, oh, yeah. alien buddy. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of those movies, so I did not hmm. take the opportunity to meet him. But I am a fan of him in general. Yeah. So what episode? If he's there again, what, I might. what episode of the X Files was he in? It was a season eight episode that um warning involves him crawling up into people's rectums. Oh, right. Oh, I think I vaguely remember this. Ugh. Yeah, and bursting out of their stomach. I think, if I remember correctly, it's he can also like cause you to see something that isn't there. Mm. So Scully sees Mulder and has to shoot him. Yeah, I think yeah, I I vaguely remember yeah. the stuff. No, it was it was bad episode, bad episode. Ugh, no, um. Anyway, uh, Mr. Chang is played by John Bennett. This is the second and final appearance for John. We previously saw him in Invasion of the Dinosaurs, where he played the general, which I forgot about until I was filling this in like an hour ago, and holy shit, you would not know. The level of makeup that man wears for this. No. You would not know this is the same person. No, you would not a hope. Not a hope. And lastly, as Magnus Greel, who is play-acting at being Wang Chang, we have Michael Spice. Here's the second and final acting credit from Michael. He previously provided the voice of Morbius in The Brain of Morbius. Thus endeth the trivia. So, trivia done, mm -hmm. summary done, on to the bread and butter of the podcast that is the character discussion. Yes. So, today we have the Doctor, mm -hmm. played by the wonderful Tom Baker. Mm -hmm. As companions, we have, I put Leela, Jago, and like... Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's <laughs> no prominent character in this story. There's no prominent characters. I technically in my notes have them under prominent characters, that's because I don't want to lose the heading for the next time I create my notes, but... They're not prominent characters. And then as villains, we have Mr. Chang, 
the reason why I'm saying Mr. Chang and not his name as is given is because I'm going to I'll butcher the middle bit. So I'm just going with Mr. Chang. I don't want to ruin his mm. name. Uh, Mr. Sin and Magnus Greel. Which I will say one thing. Uh, this story has finally answered one particular question I had about a fan song from YouTube. Uh, the song The Brig Can't Help You Now He's in Geneva mm-hmm. has a line that says Magnus Greel has a rat on a reel but he has to deal with Leela. <laughs> and I finally know what that's referring to. Mm. Completely unrelated nice. to anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so Paddy, do you want to remind our listeners who goes first? You go first. When we're doing Yeah, we, we have decided who? that whoever uh, starts off the podcast is the person that hits the that starts off the character discussion and the overall section cool so the doctor Mm -hmm. um (laughs) racism doesn't suit you doctor not at all this little man attacked us along with other little men and the fact that he never corrects anybody on any of the racially insensitive things they say like Leela is meant to be the Eliza Doolittle to his Henry Higgins mm-hmm. although in this one it's like but it fills the role of Henry Higgins yeah. but we can get that more later on and so it's meant to be him you know educating her and helping her you know, get used to the wider universe and get used to whatever the fact that he never once corrects her either on her own racism, which, you know, give her a pass. She, she doesn't know the historical context, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, or on the casual racism of the time, I think is really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Like, I know people go on about how Modern Who sort of, like, clonks you over the head with, like, the political correctness or whatever. But this is a prime story where they had a great opportunity to address something that would have made sense narratively, and they didn't. This is like again, we're con- we're constantly reminded, like that you know, the doctor is like he's a very flawed individual, and it's in the sense of like not only is he guilty of stuff like this, he's he's also kind of, which is strange, because like, his previous incarnation seemed to have a great reverence for the orient and the far east so much so that yeah. he seemed to be great pals with fucking chairman mo which was yeah. weird so like he's kind of random yeah like he's gone from one end of the spectrum to the other you know yeah and it's one of these things where i have no issue with the doctor being flawed and complex i do have an issue though where you have the doctor going from being someone who advocates for different peoples and who educates on history and educates on earth culture or whatever to being someone who is so casually racist yeah because like this is the thing is like tom is a very tall actor very tall so yeah. everyone is littler than him, Little than, him, him. than him but like we've never heard him actually kind of be use it as an like act- referring to say like this like this little man attacked us okay say it once it's a very specific mention to a very specific person. Along with other little men, you are now using little man to describe Chinese people in general. <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous. Um, and I'll be honest, 
I don't think I ever got over it. It really bothered me throughout the entire story that we never once had him stand like he never like I was expecting him to go off on Greel being like how dare you manipulate these people by pretending to be their god like how dare you use their culture right. against them no it never comes up ever so they're, they're not, no, that, no, it's a very valid point right but I view it from a, I view that point from a different angle okay yeah. had it been the general Chinese populace and Mag and Greel was impersonating a deity. Then, like it's like the like, how dare you fucking you know imp- pretend to be these people's thing. I think he should have given out to him for more. So, the point of view, like, how dare you impersonate this this person and perpetuate this fucking cycle of crime and violence and whatever, you know? Because he's deliberately yeah, he's also, deliberately pretending to be a a villainous deity. Yeah, but also, these people are only doing what they're doing. Because they think that's who he is. Yeah. Well, do you know, like Chang says that like he found him and he helped nurse him back to health, believing him to be a god. Like he convinced like all of those people believe that's who he is. But like, but like, the thing is like they've always, but they've always believed in that god. It's like the thuggy cult from Indiana Jones. It's like that they always. Wait. Yeah, but like to then impersonate that and to use that against them mm-hmm. you know i i mean oh, no, 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 what I was saying is like, whether they were bad people originally i almost don't care yeah. because the context here is that the doctor didn't call him on yeah it. oh no like no I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with that point of view it's like but it's <laughs> not like it's i think if he's the call him on it it's for like the misery and destruction that he's perpetrating as opposed to like you know like just pretending to be a deity in general you know well, I think it's both. Like, don't fucking go around pretending oh, to be someone's yeah. deity. Like, what the shit? Yeah. Um, other than that, though, <laughs> and this is where I found this story particularly challenging, and I'm sure you knew I would. Mm. Um, the story's great for him. Do you know, the Sherlock Holmes bit is cool. Like, everything else is quite good. But, like, there literally is not a scene that goes by where I'm not like, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Um, so, spoiler, this will not be making it into my top stories of Tom Baker. No. Like, there's there's plenty of other stuff to, be, to beat it out. It may be making its way into my worst stories of oh. Tom Baker. <laughs> it bothered me. Like, I almost wanted to turn it off. Wow. It really bothered me. Jesus, and I don't not the story as a whole. Mm, his performance, but the Doctor yeah. in particular. Jesus, like I don't think you've ever actually gotten to that fucking threshold. No, and I went through all of Stephen <laughs> without getting yeah. there. <laughs> Jesus, that's a. We'll get to it in my overall, yeah, yeah. but it actually really, really bothered me, and I can only imagine. Like, I'm as pale as a fucking light bulb, so I can only imagine how people of Chinese people of China or of Chinese extraction see this story. Now apparently there have been some comments saying like you're blowing it out of proportion, blah 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 blah. But like I found it uncomfortable. I th- I think see, and we we can't I talked about it in the um the trivia in terms of like the stereotypes for surrounding specifically we'll we'll go with like for like here. Mm-hmm. Big trouble in China. 
Whereas like people say they take a look at it and they're like, oh, they're portraying, you know, fucking Chinese people as being superstitious and believing in the old ways. And like, you know, they're all wearing straw hats and like every time there's just like, they're all criminals or whatever. And then you take a look at like the movie, that movie itself is a deconstruction of the white savior myth because the white savior in it is fucking completely inept. And it's actually mm. everyone else around him does things great. Here it's a case of, okay, the villains of the piece are representative of an actual criminal element from the Chinese the Chinese populace in London. And that would be no different than staging it in New York and having it be the Italians be the villain or doing it in Louisiana where you'd have, say, like, um, like a, you know, the kind of the voodoo type territory. You're, ta- you're taking inspiration from an actual criminal element from that time. And that's mm-hmm. what people... So, like, in that regards, you know, okay, maybe there is a slight bit of blown out of proportion. However, when it comes to the speech pattern, like... like Speak, the way people they the way they speak and the way they kind of behave yeah you're you're kind of taking the stereotypical piss there like yeah like i said like but i i, I, I guess yeah I, 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 yeah i think i, I think we're kind of doing the overall thing now where it's like um no. i'll move on to the doctor there if that's okay no. right. so um it's been a long time since we've seen the doctor in this type of scenario like we, like i can mm. no, like i completely agree about not calling out like the the slurs the derogatory language but like do you remember i pointed out that he's kind of guilty of this before when in brain of morbius like he referred to the um, the soul on alien that they found as a mutt which mm. is the derogatory term yeah. for the people that he had fucking called monsters before you know so like he, mm. he like he, there's a there's a slight pattern emerging um so like, i completely agree with that did not like that aspect of it but on the other side it's like in the terms of the story we we haven't seen him be like this before, like an investigator in an area as vast as London, with like an with a villain that's not of the time. So it is a game of cat and mouse with mm. this, um, or cat and rat. Cat and rat, yeah, <laughs> uh, feline and vermin. Uh, but um, and it's like, of course, like there's a Sherlock Holmes going against like the amalgamation of Fu Manchu, Professor Moriarty, Jack the Ripper, that type of element, like the atmosphere and the setting in the studio is just is great and like you know you and i are both fans of like kind of victorian steampunk type things like you know mm. so um some things like i i enjoyed here like we talked about um him you know smiling with leela with the dress uh like the, the continual um my fair lady type vibe you know when they go to the theater mm. and you're once singing daisy daisy and Lena's mm. like, oh, like, do we have to follow in with the the chorus? And he goes, like, you're not obliged to do it. And it's that's more so for Lila. But I I like his his part mm. of that relationship. Um, I'm gonna sound like a broken record here because I'll just say it off the bat: the chemistry between the four heroes is fucking sensational. Mm. It's so yeah. so good. All four of them, like, they all work so well off each other. Like the Doctor and Jago, the Doctor and Lightfoot, the Doctor and Lila, all work great together. Um. One thing that I did kind of, and it's it's a recurring theme, I, I think, with this Doctor, right, is pleading with the villain not to do the right thing. Or, like, pleading, no, sorry, pleading with the villain to do the right thing. So, like, Greel, don't get in the cabinet. Greel, please stop. Greel. It's like, it's not because he wants you to survive. It's just that he doesn't want you to cause any collateral damage when you do go. And, like, mm. it's something that we've seen with Tom a bit now. Um, and, like, we'll probably see we've seen with the doctor again with our sages like it's like if you're going to die just you know, maybe do it in the corner there where no one can see you type thing 
Um, yeah. So it's not like, you know, extending the hand of mercy, but it's more like kind of a, you know, shoot to the side. Um, but I, I, I kind of, it suits this, it suits the Philip Hinchcliffe era, the gothic vibe. It suits it perfectly, I think. I think that type of attitude mm-hmm. towards the villain suits this vibe. Uh, but yeah, so there is like where normally we like to see like all positive about the doctor there is the dark side to this particular story for him as well i agree and it actually reminded me of something that i'll probably get to more when we talk about chang but i also like when they find chang at the end Mm -hmm. and his leg is gone or half off or whatever Mm -hmm. and your man's basically high on opium Mm -hmm. the doctor doesn't try to save him he doesn't say let's get you to a hospital or let's get you to a doctor now yeah he's trying to get information out of him but to your point it's like well he's dying quietly in a corner so but like but then actually that kind of raises another point there is that like kind of what you're saying about what the doctor should have done in terms of like dealing with Greel. It's like, mm. you have Chang here now, who is completely disillusioned with the idea of what Greel represented, you know, completely disillusioned. Mm. If you save him, he can be like the next step in that chain where he can go and try yeah. and disillusion, you know, it's, but again, unfortunately, it's the what ifs, it's, and it's the yeah. fucking frustration, it's, yeah, it's the frustration of this, all right, like, <laughs> fuck it. How do we move on to our companions? Yes. So, first we have Leela. Leela. Um, a bit more of the everything is magic this time around. Not much, but the odd mention. I mean, six episode story doesn't pop too much, I suppose. But the odd mention of it. Um, not to be overshadowed though by Leela, the fucking badass. Like jumping over Mister Chin, bouncing on a chair, running on the table, and jumping at the Mister Sin. <laughs> Mister Sin, yeah. not Chin. Sorry. Um, that was brilliant. Also, spoiler, that wasn't Louise Jameson. <laughs> no, it's not her. <laughs> um, however, the later scene where she um, runs after the the cabbie and like jumps mm-hmm. in the back, that was Louise Jameson, apparently. That was actually very difficult to film. And it was because, um, oh, I've forgotten his name. The stunt guy that they had. Oh, the fucking Terry Walsh. No. Yeah, it's because Terry Walsh was like, I can't run like a woman, so you're going to have to do that yourself. <laughs> um, but like, not only does she, like, she knows nothing of London and she just takes off after Chang. She conducts her own investigation. She swaps places with one of the women. Like, that's fucking brilliant. Do you know? Mm. And yeah, there's a couple of things she does or a couple of things she says that you're kind of like, okay, Leela, that's like, again, another thing. To, just not to circle back on me, sh- like shitty on the doctor story, but like Leela killed someone outside a police station, mm-hmm. nearly confessed it, and the doctor hushed her up. Yeah. And we met you here later on. They're trying to figure out how the man died, <laughs> and the doctor's just like, doo, 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 yeah. doo, 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 doo. Now, I get that he's protecting Leela, yeah. but also, like, dude, come on. Um, you know, not one to be left behind. You know, the doctor and about the question like did the doctor know that Leela was coming around after the chloroform that she'd wake up and she'd be able to follow them and she'd get to the um house of the dragon or whatever I don't know I didn't see any indication of that 
No. He just wanted her to be safe. Yeah. But the fact that she literally just came to mm. and immediately took off after them. Her back and forth with Greel, particularly at the end where she's like, you know, I don't fear death. Mm-hmm. Unlike you. And she's like, you know, in the afterlife, I'm going to fucking find mm. you. And I'm going to repay you 10 times the amount of pain you're going to. Like, she's just, oh, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. If this is like a really low story for the doctor for me. Oh. It's a really good Leela story. Oh, like Louise Jameson like just keeps knocking it out of the park. Like, yeah. um, like I really, really do enjoy Leela in this story. Like even the bit now that you were giving out about, um, where she gets the guy with the Janus thorn. There's a small bit of humor to that where it's like, I thought I told you no more Janus thorns, <laughs> and it was just like he was going to kill yeah you. he was going to kill you so like um or pretty even in the like the police station where it was like you know put him to the torture <laughs> just like you, you can't take the the seven team out of the girl type thing um i don't know like it probably was just me right but at times it kind of feels like that there's an element of the doctor training an apprentice just by the certain ways that he's like telling Lila what to do or like kind of um getting her to think up the next stage of like the um, what's the plan you know presenting the data type thing and it kind of reminds me a small bit of helen magnus and the big guy in sanctuary small yeah a small bit like um but just because like this whole thing of like taking someone that's kind of i suppose like savage in nature and then i won't say domesticating them but like it, like opening up their like their worldview and like you know like um i hate the term civilizing someone i fucking hate it um yeah but like ju- just basically well, you've actually you've actually reminded me of another thing that, that bothered me but the doctor is keep going <laughs> Fair enough. um but like outside of that though like i love her interactions with lightfoot like their mm. their chemistry specifically was fucking brilliant like where she like sticks like she picks up the carving knife it's a, it's a good knife and like you just like, starts sticking it into the fucking hunk of meat and he's not one to be outdone and then you know when she drinks the giant fucking souffle bowl and he just goes ah napkin <laughs> uh, so that was great but again like the action sequences here like the tactical intelligence she has like you know willie to catch him in a crossfire if they come into the house like clearly um lifewood has a big house so he must have defenses so he should have guns in fixed positions but and then he just pointed out like the detective intelligence like to trail chang and like wait till he actually goes back to his lair swaps with the woman and not just swaps with the woman but covers her face and conceals her face and banks on the fact that chang is just like she's a piece of meat like i don't need to pay attention to her Mm. So, like, um, yeah, this is, I have this, like, impression that for Leela's performances, we just have one, two, three straight off the bat. <laughs> like, because she's been, Face of Evil, Robots of Death, and Tanzawai Chang, there has been, I don't think there's been a misstep in her performance. No. And actually, the one thing that, like, I, I mentioned that you reminded me of there is Leela being referred to as savage. Mm. Um, and the Doctor, in particular, keeps explaining away her behavior by saying like oh she's a savage i found her going down the amazon in a hat box mm-hmm. and it's like okay <laughs> there's other ways you could explain <laughs> why she is the way she is she read she led a very secluded life yeah. like the doctor describing her as savage and feeding into 
the whole depiction of savage versus civilized. What like? I wasn't a big fan of either. No. There's, there's um, actually, but I'll give him a pass because like at the time it probably would have like as in Victorian era that may have been what he was Yeah, see, so this is the thing. He's probably like the only defense you could possibly say in terms of like some of his description is that he's using vernac- he's using vernacular of the day to mm. avoid being kind of caught out. Now, I don't think that really applies. Like the vernacular of the day doesn't really apply to like this little fellow and that little fellow. Or those little fellows, uh, but for like describing like someone that is clearly of a hunter gatherer type disposition, mm-hmm. as you know, savage, that does seem kind of like of the day, yeah. Anything else on Leela? No, just that she was fucking brilliant in the story, mm. completely agree. So, on to the dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. Who should we do first? Uh, well, in honor of their series, I think we should just go Jago and Lightfoot. So Jago first. Jago, master of alliteration. Mm-hmm. As I refer to him as um, the bombastic ba- bag of bravado. Yeah, like he he's like this weird mix of like, he's very much a cowardly lion type, mm. while also being very self assured. Yeah. Do you know, it's like in his own theatre, of course there's nothing in the basement. What the hell do you want? I'll go down to the basement with you and whatever. Like he's very much like, you know, comfortable in himself and comfortable in his own environment. But when he's put into new environments, the cowardly lion kind of mm-hmm. yeah. shines through. Um I love that he sees himself as a performer in case he's like, you don't fucking do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about. I click ticket um, stones and I you know announce the axe. <laughs> yeah, and like he's not like you could very easily, particularly like in the Jago and Lightfoot setup, but also like Jago and the Doctor and whatever, you could very easily set him up as a fool. Mm. And I don't think he's a fool. No. He's not as aware <laughs> as everybody else, but that's because he hasn't been exposed to everything they have. His experience is very much bound in the theatre until he meets up with Lightfoot. Yeah. So, like, for that, I think he's brilliant. Like, he's such an interesting character to watch. Um, and, like, the fact that, like, he clearly has, like, some level of respect for Chang. Mm. Do you know? Like, as a performer. Mm. Um, now, he does break into his room, but that's because he saw blood on the W. Yeah. And that was fucking weird. I, I, I've often. Oh, sorry. Go finish your point there, and I'll. No, but I was just like, he never sort of, like, says like, oh, like someone mentioned something, and the person might have been Chinese. He's never like, oh, well, that must like Chang yeah. must have, like. He's very defensive of Chang mm. until someone proves to him otherwise. Yeah. Which is good mm. in a character. Do you know what I mean? I th- yeah, he was wrong. Yeah. But <laughs> it's still good in a person. I, I think when like judging someone by their colour, when it comes to Jago, I think it's how much green can they bring me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, The only person that he does treat with a little bit of a... Hmm. Really, Jago? Is Casey. The little Irish yeah. <laughs> stagehand who... You know, have you had anything to drink? No, maybe you should. Yeah, here, steady. Um, I, I'll just be fair. Like I fucking laughed at that. I thought it was. Kind of, I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, but like other than that, um, and again, clearly he gets along very well with 
Pacey. They're kind of a duo and you know, like it sort of makes Casey's death death hit harder mm. because of Jago's reaction to it. Yeah. Do you know, I wonder if Casey hadn't been killed, would Jago have been as gung ho to go find Lightfoot and have their own little adventure? Or is it because it hit a bit too close to home? Well no, I was like see like I though I'm coming in with a small bit like of um because like, I listen every so often to the Jago and Lightfoot series, uh, the, the ones that I have, and then I kind of so I, I was coming with that relationship and that Jago coming into this, and it's like Jago's one of those people is that he does care about the few individuals that he takes into his close confidence. Mm. So like Casey being, I would say like probably the chief stagehand, like they probably they they did have a strike up a good enough relationship. I mean like. The way that they, he doesn't berate Casey when Casey says, but you don't do anything. It's like, yeah. you know, it's all this kind of stuff. And Jago loves the theatre. He loves being, like a, as he calls himself, a theatrical impresario. Like he loves it. Mm. And he loves the people that work for him. Or he at least, like, he, you know, do your job and, you know, I'll see after you. And that's always the case. Even with his acts. Um, mm. Like, that's always been the case. Um and he like he's as you say he's very good at what he does. He's he's a master showman. He is so good at it. Mm. Um, and but like I think there's two bits in this that I really really enjoy, and they kind of tie together. It's him telling Lightfoot that he's a coward by nature, and then he's the one that stands up to provide the distraction for Leela. I I actually really like that because I thought that was a good payoff. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, I like Christopher Benjamin. I, I liked him as Sir Keith in Inferno. And he's also in another story that I really enjoy that doesn't get, um, it doesn't get like much love, but I really enjoyed Unicorn and the Wasp. Um, mm. But Jago is by far and away his best role. It's like, yeah. he is just perfect in it. I'd agree. And then we have the other half of the duo Mm -hmm. in Lightfoot. Yes. So I have a criticism-ish about Lightfoot that I'll get to in a minute. Okay. However, Lightfoot just seems like such a lovely man. Mm. (laughs) I love how he is with Leela. You mentioned it earlier from Leela's perspective, but I love how he is clearly taken aback by her, but he's very defensive of her. Mm. He very much, like... He respects her as well, though. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't, like, he never criticizes. He never calls her out being like, no, don't do that or don't do the other thing. Like, when she goes to just stuff her face using a fork, no, he's like, do you want a fork or knife? And she's like, this is a knife. It's a good knife. Yeah. Thanks. And she's yeah. used like, a big, giant butcher's knife. And he's like, okay, in for a penny, in for a pound. Make her feel comfortable and whatever, you know. And like, is it the, the small correction of, you know, napkin? Yeah. <laughs> or you even know, like at the end, even at the end, like where it's like you know, like you know, it's like when you're asked for one number two, you always say one. But what if I want two? Oh no, no, Miss Leela, no. for ladies, one. <laughs> yeah, like all those little things, like you know, we've said that like the whole conception of Leela was the whole idea of Eliza Doolittle and Henry Higgins, but in this story, Lightfoot, yeah, is Higgins. Mm-hmm. The Doctor is also there. But Lightfoot is Higgins. Lightfoot is the one who goes out and buys her a dress and who helps 
her learn the ways of Victorian London. It's Lightfoot that does the majority of that. Do you know? And I love the fact that, like, the two of them continue having their own thing. Mm -hmm. Like, even through to the end of the episode, where the Doctor and Jago have are walking on ahead, and the two of them are having a discussion about tea. Mm -hmm. And, like, she doesn't, like, she obviously is like, you're weird. Yeah. But okay, I'm going to take this as a learning exercise. But he doesn't ever, like, the idea that, like, she would defend him, the idea that, like, she's strong and that she can fight, he doesn't hold that against her. Mm. He doesn't think she should be exposed to it. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't criticize her for doing it. No. Which I think is lovely. Um, I love how he is with the doctor. I think that's brilliant. Um, I love him with Jago. I think that's fantastic. The sort of budding bromance between the two yeah. of them is amazing. Um, I did kind of get a little hint with Leela. I was like, did he have a bit of a crush on Leela? He is he he always one. he always refers to her as Miss Leela, and like even yeah. when like she does come back in that one episode, Jake on life, where he was like, like he always refers to her as Miss Leela. I think I think then he kind of starts to just call her Leela as it goes on, but yeah, mm. I don't. I kind of get sense that maybe he had a little bit of a yeah. I, I think there's a there's... he was certainly intrigued by her. yeah. We'll put that way. Um, but the bromance with Jago, I think, is brilliant. The two of them in the dumbwaiter yeah. is hilarious. And apparently the two lads could not stop laughing. <laughs> like, they literally they had to be yeah. like, okay, calm yourself. But, like, they were, like, giggling like schoolboys when they were sat inside. And, like, which is great. The one criticism I'd have of Lightfoot, and I will admit I am massively misinformed in this particular regard, because I'm sure it's true for a lot of people from colonizing countries mm. who spent time in other. So he says he grew up in China. Mm. Okay, he doesn't speak Chinese. I can't criticize. I lived in Ireland my entire life, but I don't speak the fucking language. Mm -hmm. But the way he speaks about the Chinese, the fact that like, he never goes on about the beauty of their culture mm -hmm. or anything else like the fact that he still is like oh it was a chinese that attacked me mm -hmm. you know, it's not like oh i think it was one of those you know specific group <laughs> of people it like, he continues the broad generalizations which i'm a little bit sad about um it didn't bother me as much as the doctor did because again lightfoot is still a man of his time but for someone who grew up in china to still have that view and that reaction i'm not a big fan of but again when you're the colonizing force you see the place that you're in differently yeah so, so. Uh, i actually kind of have a point about that right and is that um i'll talk about the good stuff first and i'll come i'll circle around back mm. to that point uh the dynamic here with everyone is just sensational like as i say this is yeah. we've talked about great supporting casts and the champagne casting before but like this is just it's another level because you can take any two out of the four and they'll all they'll work well with each other not a bother they'll they, it just it's amazing like robert holmes i think the weakest is probably leela and jago pro probably but only because they haven't had so much on-screen time together no, but like you know you can even just imagine what that type of relationship would yeah. be like because the seeds have been built there it's not yeah. it's not too much of a stretch to imagine how it goes um so like fucking robert holmes like has just done an amazing job with writing for these four characters mm. and obviously hats off to the fucking four actors themselves as well um 
but like I like Lightfoot because he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, even though like he's like you know he's the chief pathologist and he's he's not a spring chicken like you know but fuck mm-hmm. it he's not afraid to, he like he even says like I want to pay repay a few of those lumps that I got you know he's mm-hmm. you can tell that he's definitely the son of a military man anyway um but I re- I really he's also not afraid to, not afraid to clean up after himself no he's not uh like or don an apron so <laughs> um. So like I really I really enjoy that aspect of him. Like you know, he's a cool character, uh great fucking relationships with everyone and just is great dialogue, really good action sequences, hands hands down. Mm-hmm. Uh in relation to your point there, so he said that he grew up in the what would have probably been the palace area in uh Peking. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just from my own small brief knowledge of the time. So if that was the case, he probably would have grown up in the legation city which is in around that time china was being divided up by the major european powers and so in in the in the major cities there was like these legation cities which essentially imagine like mini uns uh or mini eus so you'd have like the french legation the the russian legation german and the british and in that you the like children wouldn't really kind of venture out into the city so they'd only ever be exposed to um, let's say Christian Chinese, that would have just been servants and servitudes, things like that. They wouldn't really see anything outside of the, the legation walls. And if they did, it would have been like the old country. It would have been people that still uh, would have venerated the, the Chinese um, Chinese deities, China, the Chinese pantheon of gods, uh, still have veneration for like the fact that you couldn't see... Um, you had you had to worship the empress and the emperor as deity living deities mm. but also you're kind of in around the time which is like i don't know what year this is specifically set in but you're talking about time like the opium wars and the rise of the boxer uh rebels which would have been like their bandits their brigands and uh tongangs would have been representative of that so what we're exposed to here and it's like why i kind of brought up the thing about going if there had been a positive chinese characters all we're seeing is the the criminal element and the negative side which is what he probably would have only been exposed to like on the bigger side of things because again as a kid growing up he was probably only exposed to christian chinese who were servants mm. that's no that's that's yeah. from my yeah. own like very limited like i that time period i think is very interesting but i haven't read enough into it yeah Again, though, I still think it oh, so, uh, was a nice opportunity. Oh, yeah. To sorry, actually, yeah, no, sorry, sorry. That I, I completely missed the leftover the point that I didn't like, which is that he grew up in a, he grew up in a place where it's like Christian Chinese were kind of treated by colonizers as like ah they've come into the light, you know, like they're whatever. So the fact that he uses the word chinks, that like that didn't sit right with me because it's like you never refer to them as anything. You never refer to them by a slur term. For the mm-hmm. rest of it, nor have you shown any indication indication for that type of thing. So why is it that he used it that one time? It just felt mm-hmm. very odd. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure we'll talk about that more when we get to the overall. Yeah. Um, but like I said, for me, that whole thing, I didn't find it as distracting from the story as other mm. racism that I've mentioned. Earlier. Oh yeah, no, no. Um, for him, it maybe makes sense in character. And you're like, okay, cool. That's fine. And also, he's like a sweetheart. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you kind of just want to give him a cuddle. Yeah. Like, Jago would be a good cuddler, but like, life, you want to give him a cuddle. Yeah. 
adopt a grandparent. <laughs> <laughs> so now, See, Lightfoot and Hartnell, that would have been adorable. Yeah, it actually. The yeah. two of them trying to solve the, that would yeah. be amazing. I would love to see that. <laughs> oh. So if we move on to the the villains. So we have Lee Sun Chang, we have Mister mm. Sin, and we have Wang Chang, aka Bagus Grill. How do you want to? So I think we can. Like, I think probably Mister Sin first because he's just and get him over and out of the way with. So, Patty sent me a message. These are the characters we're going to be discussing. By the way, one of them is a ventriloquist dummy, but is also like a person. As in, there's someone in a costume. I hate ventriloquist dummies. They are up there with clowns for things that freak me out. The fact that this was Deep Roy in a suit doesn't fucking change the fact of nope, 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 nope. <laughs> The fact that it's a psychotic doll mm-hmm. with a pig brain also nope, 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 nope. That's all I have to say on Mr. Sue. Okay. So, I will now voice my things about Mr. Sin. If I get, the, if, in the year 5000, if I'm getting this as a gift, even though it's a, even as a diplomatic gift, I'm putting this nowhere near my kids, because it's a toy for their, my kid. It's like, no, you never saw this. Thank you very much. This goes straight to the fucking attic. Um, locked in a box, never to be seen. Um, it's, why a pig cortex? Like, Why? Because, like, okay, now I know that pigs will eat anything, especially if they're conditioned to do so, as we've seen in Hannibal, and also Snatch, mm. uh, and also that one fucking really messed up episode of Crim- uh, Criminal Minds. Um, why did this, like, why is it that, like, one, the pig cortex was able to override the machinery of the doll, and what pigs aren't as I'm aware psychotic by nature, as I said, they have to be conditioned. So why is it that it become like this fucking murder that killed machine? Like there's apparently there's a lot of explanation that it kind of goes into the Peking homunculus um, in like the big finish stuff surrounding mm. this, but it's like, like I am curious to know more because it's just one or two throwaway lines here, and it's like it's very confusing. Why couldn't it have just been a fucking robot? Why did you have to introduce the pig cortex? Yeah, the pig brain is weird. Yeah. I honestly didn't care. Because you were nope, 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 nope. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't care how you explained it. I don't care if it was a robot. I don't care if it was a pig brain or a monkey brain or a human brain. The result was still the same. Everyone that's listening, stick a pin in for Grisha's show in the galaxy because Trish is going to not fucking like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like clowns and dummies. <laughs> Or things in like mascot suits. I have a very specific line, right? Mm. Clowns don't go anywhere fucking near the line. Mm-hmm. Like they're fuck off into the pits of hell. Then you have puppets. Ventriloquist dummies. Like with the sort of drop jaw mm-hmm. like traditional ventriloquist dummies. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Things closer to Sesame Street and the Muppets. They're good. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like people in mascot suits or like those types of things. So you're you're not you're not a fan of uh, the Philly fanatic or <laughs> what? Uh, he's like the the Philadelphia he's the the Philadelphia Phillies uh, baseball team mascot. Oh yeah, like see like the actual mascot of the actual team. Mm-hmm. Not too bad in like the context of like I'm at a baseball game. And the Mariner Moose comes up to me. Okay. I have the Mariner Moose's daughter. Okay. I met the Mariner Moose. We got a picture. It was fun. Because that's in context. Or like if I'm at a Disney theme park and there's someone dressed up as Mickey Mouse, that's fine. Anyone else dressed up in a costume like that for any reason? No. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> yeah. I'll, it's very specific. Yeah. You're like, so like you're invoking your Christopher Judge fucking. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not going to get into it on this. I think I've explained it before. I have a very specific reason for the mascot outfit thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, those three things, if they're in a show, no. <laughs> Just cool. no. <laughs> Fair enough. So, how about we move on from this uncomfortable thing and we'll move on now to the other two? Um, <laughs> the uncomfortable things. Okay. Who do you want to discuss last? I think. Greel is the main villain, so we'll do Greel last. So let's do Chang first. Okay. So I'll get the negative. Po- I'll get the negative point out of the way with first, right? I like John Bennett. John Bennett is a great actor. Me too. I really liked him as General Finch in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I like him in Porridge. I like him in I think Believe Dad's Army. He's in it. Well. He's a great actor. Mm. He should not have been fucking cast in this role. Like, I like no. Uh, I agree. He should not. And the, this is the annoying thing, right? Is that as an antagonist, I enjoyed Chang. I enjoyed the character of Chang as an antagonist. I did not see the reason to do it in Yellowface because there are, if it's an equity thing or something like that, there's no documentation as to say like that an Asian actor had not built up enough equity points to be cast in this fucking thing, because we know that there have been plenty of movies depicting um, Asian culture that have yellow face in it but also very prominent actual Asian supporting cast members so Mm. here and we've actually seen there was supporting Asian cast in the role of like you know Tang members or whatever surely one of them could have had the ability to play Chang because Chang as an antagonist is great unfortunately it just gets so distracting with the yellow face it's really, really annoying. My thing is, Chang as a character mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. I think Bennett's performance contributes to that. Oh, absolutely. But I agree with you. He should never have been yeah, cast. I, it's it's the it's the have him play anybody else. It's it's so it's so annoying. Like John, like John, we've writing the characters wanting. Getting an actor to portray the character is the second part of the puzzle. And John Bennett, Christ almighty, if it had just been a straight-up Moriarty type thing, then, mm. oh, perfect, absolutely amazing. But you've kind of tarnished it now by having a really good actor do a really good performance in a role that he should never have been in in the first place. Mm. I want to play a game of what if with you. Okay. What if mm-hmm. Chang... Mm-hmm. Was a white character in Yellowface in the story, better or worse, as in part of his shtick 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Is making money off of the powers that mm-hmm. Greal had given him was well. If I play this up as a quote unquote celestial, I'll be a bigger draw. Better or worse. I'm a factor to who, how successful that is is the other character's reaction to it. If mm. the doctor does not call him out on it, it's no, it's a fucking terrible idea. Mm. Um, actually, I, I think the only two real characters that come into this are probably, or actually three, and Leela doesn't really enter into the equation. Leela yeah, yeah. doesn't really get um, much of a voice in this just no. because she doesn't have the, con- the context. Uh, Lightfoot doesn't meet him, so he's kind of out of it. So it's, it re- mm. it's really down to Jago and um, the doctor. And if you do that, you really run the risk of fucking destroying Jago as a really good character. And actually, you give the Doctor no redeeming qualities, potentially. Because I can't see the Doctor telling a showman how and how not to do his job. I, I, I can't see it. Um, mm. So no, I, I think it would actually be worse. Okay. How would you? No, just, just giving yeah. the... We've talked about number oh, one. Yeah. Ups, so um, giving, yeah. giving that one yeah. up as well. It's, it's so annoying like, because like, the game of one-upmanship between Chang and the Doctor is great. It is like to the extent of like I actually think he's a better antagonist than Greel. Yeah, I think Greel is the main antagonist of the story, well, but uh, yeah, Chang yeah. is a more interesting. Uh, one. Yeah, um, that's it. Like you know, like Gre- Greel, unfortunately, he's the head honcho, but it's the underboss is actually the one that brings you to it. Uh, because that scene where, like, you see Chang at one point load a revolver in preparation for killing the Doctor, and then there's the magic trick. He's like, I'm going to shoot the magic bullet into the deck of cards, and the Doctor just puts it in front of his face. That sequence is masterfully done. I thought it was... That sequence was also done as is. Yeah. They had someone come in and teach Bennett how to do that magic trick. Excellent. As opposed to just trying to do it with trickery or whatever. Apparently they actually had someone come in and teach them how to do it properly. And not everyone in the cast knew how it was done. No, that... That makes it even better. But it just that sequence of where the doctor kind of going, like, I'm calling your bluff and just Chang actually mm. going through with it. It's great. Like, that... Oh, fuck, it's so annoying that it has to be John Bennett in this role. It really fucking is. Yeah. Uh, great character. So, unfortunate controversy surrounding it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I'll say about Chang is that, like, Chang again, I've, I've said this with people before, he's a weird mix of a character mm. because he believes Greel mm. 110%. And when Greel dismisses him, he's like, no, but I can I can still do it. Mm-hmm. Even though Greel says, fuck off, I don't want anything to do with you, he still wants to serve. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the fact that no one called Greel on the fact that he impersonated a god. Mm. Like, that's where it really hits. It's not just the fact that, like, he's, like I said, perpetuating this violence or whatever. It's the fact that he's convinced them so completely that even when he tells them to fuck off, they will still do whatever they can to please him. And that's really interesting when you compare it with the fact that, like, you know, he says that he found Greel and he nursed him back, like, we know that some of the, or a lot of the other characters, they have that scorpion tattoo, mm-hmm. which is 
the symbol of I don't know that's historically the symbol or whatever, but in the story it's the symbol of the tongs, right? We don't see that symbol on Chang. Was Chang part of the tongs before he met Greel? I don't think he was. That's a good question. I don't think he was. I think Greel presented himself in a way mm. and Chang behaved in a way that would please his god. Now, that's my read on it. I may be wrong. Maybe the well, the novelization okay. explains it, but that was my read on it. So, I think, I think any, um, any religion that worships a pantheon mm. has, there's always embodiments of evil or anarchy or whatever. If you choose to worship those entities, there's something very suspect about you anyway. Now, I but when it's pre- when he comes out of a box and yeah. stands before you. So like, but this is the thing: is that like going like, is what was the Chang for all we know he could have been like a street performing con artist. So like, mm-hmm. uh, and then that way like, but I, I, I don't see him as like you know this everyday honorable peasant then shifting to the side of evil just because the, the god of evil comes out, you know? I kind of do. Like, right. you know, I'm not saying that like he was, you know, the most righteous man yeah. alive before he met Greel. What I'm saying is that I don't think he was, I don't think he was necessarily part of the tongs before he met Greel. I think he's someone who's aware of mm. his, you know, of the pantheon. He's aware of the gods of his culture. And one of them came out of a box and was severely wounded. And he did everything he could to help them. Like, you know, when you're saying like when you have a pantheon and you choose to follow the evil one in the pantheon. You know, that says something about you. I think that's perhaps a gross generalization, maybe coming from a culture where we grew up Christian, where it's either good or bad. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's what's that's true, because you know, I think I think, <laughs> you know, we're not really in the best. Yeah. And, like, and, and again, like all of our. <laughs> I suppose all of our sources are based on age-old interpretations and writings. Yeah. Know, so yeah. Um, I think the reason why I think that with Chang is because I think the most devastating scene of this story for me is Chang lying on a bed, his leg half mauled. Like we we haven't seen him. Like you know, Greel referred to the other. Chinese characters as like opium addicts or whatever. Mm-hmm. We never see Chang doing that for the entire story until the end. Where he's laid up in a bed, he knows exactly what he's doing, he's letting himself go to join his ancestors or whatever, getting high over, and he's just basically saying, It wasn't real. Mm. And that to me sort of read as I did everything that this being asked of me and he lied. Mm. Which to me says that like this isn't something Chang would have been doing on his own. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of where I got that that sense from and why the whole fact that no one calls Greel on his sh- shit in terms of impersonating a deity bothers me so much. No, no, I, I, I get that. I, I see where you're coming from with that one, all right. But 
what do you think about Grail in general? Now that we've, uh, unless you have something else to add about China. No, other than just like against the fucking shake my head type thing of like going, oh, such a fucking good character, good actor, but sh- never the two should have met. Never the two should have met. Yeah. Um, um, so, how's it going? Before you actually said it in the trivia, I have it down as like a disfigured time traveling mad scientist war criminal. Mm-hmm. Seems very reminiscent. Why is Phantom of the Opera anyone? <laughs> yeah. Um, as an antagonist, Greel is kind of boring. Like he's he's very fucking pant- pantomime uh, at times. His best, like I think, his best bit or his two best bits for me are one that chase scene in the actual catwalks of the um, the theater. I really, I really enjoyed that. Which I have a comment on. I'll get right. to in a second. Thought that was kind of atmospheric. I like that. But as well, his uh, back and forth with Leela. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think Greel's best bits mm-hmm. are his interactions with Leela. Mm-hmm. All of them, actually. Mm-hmm. And actually his interactions with Chang, I think, are for the most part really interesting. Mm. Um... Because, well, yes, he's playing into the, you know, hidden villain or whatever. Um, when we see, like, the two of them in the back of the cab and those scenes they have together, I actually find those most His scenes with the Doctor are a bit meh and the whole of episode six, he's a bit like, yeah, whatever. Like, dude, your experiment failed. Look at your face. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um in terms of the catwalk I think the catwalk is brilliant it really reminds me again it's very Phantom of the Opera Mm -hmm. Um, but for someone who has a debilitating health condition Mm. where he can barely walk without hocking up a lung he's a fairly fucking spry fellow isn't he yeah and at that stage like he's like (laughs) he's weak and he needs you know he needs more plasma or whatever the f- he needs two yeah he needs not only does he need one he needs two <laughs> and yet he flew up that yeah. ladder um I think Greel is he's sort of the more standard megalomaniac character mm. we've had um I think his the biggest issue I have with him is that no one caught him on the impersonating a Chinese deity thing mm. But, like, I love the back and forth between him and Leela. They're so good. Yeah. And, like, he calls her a tigress, which I just think is so <laughs> Yes. Yes, she is. <laughs> like, I just think... And you will bow to her because she's amazing. <laughs> it, it, it just kind of popped into my head there where it was, like... It, it, just because we're, we're speaking about something to do with, like, um, Asian mythology and Asian culture. Uh, Shang-Chi. It's, like... Um, mm. The the Mandarin, I can't remember the actual name of the character, but uh, the Mandarin character, like, mm. he's great. That big giant fuck off evil dragon, like piss off! I don't want to see you. I want to see. I want to see more of this thing. That's what happens here. It's like Greel. It's like okay, yeah, fine, whatever. Fuck off. Bring Chang back, please, because I like Chang as an antagonist. Ah. So, a very interesting character discussion for a very interesting score story to discuss. Mm. 
So we will now move into the last part of this uh, episode, and that will be the overall, where Trish and I will each give a stor- the story a score out of five. <laughs> we, we, like we said last week, it would be interesting. Now it's time to put up or shut up. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting is putting it lightly. Mm-hmm. I am both happy and regretful that I did something last week that I usually don't do. When I was filling in my notes for last week, I skipped ahead to double check the Philip Hinchcliffe thing. Because I'd gotten that wrong the week before. Yes. And scrolling down through the trivia, I saw a big giant section about controversy. So I knew there was some coming. However, before I read that, I'd been really excited about this story. So many people cite this as you yourself have said to me before, like, oh, Tans of Wangshang, like, is a great story. And you've said it to me before. Mm-hmm. So many people have said to me before, it's such a, like, genuinely, like, I haven't seen many people criticise it, to be perfectly honest. It's generally held up with fairly high regard. Mm. And I was really looking forward to it. But I really struggled watching it. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, at one point, I genuinely wanted to turn it off. Because it wasn't fun to watch. And, you know, if people want to say that this is me over-indexing and, you know, reacting how I think is, like, politically correct for me to react or whatever, if you want to say that, that's fine. Um, That's not the way I am as a person. I tend not to try no. not to get offended on other people's behalf. But I just found it uncomfortable to watch. And to us, it's not just the racism. The racism is one thing. The constant mentions of opium... Having Chang on an opium high. Having the doctor explaining to Leela what opium is. What the fuck am I watching? Like, I get, like, Philip Hinchcliffe and Bob Holmes, I love their run on the show. I really do. And we've talked about it before. This is totally them. But it's still fucking Doctor Who. Like, this is for children. And... You walk into what could essentially be referred to as an opium den. Mm. You have the doctor describe it as a narcotic. And then we cut to a guy actually smoking away. Do you know? We have people referring to the only Chinese characters we see as opium addicts. We have no one sort of saying... That's not all of us. You're, you know, tarrying everyone with the same brush, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, what the fuck am I watching? Where is the education? There's no education here. Do you know? And I know the historicals have kind of deviated away from the education side of things mm-hmm. and whatever. But like, there's none. What the hell? This is a prime opportunity through the character of Leela to educate and to help grow and evolve in the way that we saw with the Aztecs or in the way that we saw with the Romans or in any of the other historicals we've seen. Where the fuck was it in this one? Do you know? Yeah, it's a fun romp and I loved all the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Actually, even the rats, like the giant rat thing. 
actually fucking interesting. Um, the premise was fantastic. The acting was amazing, even by the guy who never should have been cast in the first place. Yeah. His acting was phenomenal. The sets and the costumes. I mean, the BBC does Victorian era so well. Mm. But what the fuck? <laughs> like, it might, like, I mentioned that um, I had issues with the Deadly Assassin. Mm-hmm. With the violence in it. Yeah. And bear in mind, that's pre-Leela. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> but this one, I really have to go, like, it didn't feel like I was watching Doctor Who. It felt it. This is probably the most hammer horror. It it has actually felt since probably since pyramids. Yeah, but like this is so much worse. Like the worst thing in pyramids was they had one character who was a bit of a racial character. That was one character. Mm. This it's half the fucking cast. Do you know? Mm. And you have the rest of the cast treating them that way. Yeah. You know, I said. Also, I think it was at least one, if not two, episodes too long. The last two episodes almost didn't need to be a thing. Um, it was great because it sets up Jacob and Lightfoot. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think Doctor Who should be used as a soft point. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's been fucking done before, <laughs> or no, sorry, not before. Um, it's been done. It will yeah, be done yeah. again. Yeah, I know, but like, um. Yeah, I I really really struggled with it, um, and it it it's really hard for me to give it because like literally between last night and now, so in the space of twenty four hours, because mm. I finished watching this around this time last night, in the space of twenty four hours, it went from being a two mm-hmm. to being a four to being a three and a half, and now I'm just gonna have to draw the line at a three because. I love Leela, I love Jago, I love Lightfoot, I love the premise, the acting was great, the sets were great, the costumes were great. But the racism I can't get beyond, and the fact that the Doctor never calls any of it out and actually contributes to it. Mm. No. Like, three is me being generous on my read on this. And I feel horrible because this is so many people's favourite, but like, I generally don't get how it can be. What the fuck were you watching? Yeah. Well, but but it, fuck it, it's no different than like to to lighten as a small bit is we don't like the gunfighters. Loads of people love the gunfighters, and it's like how I don't I I don't fucking see it. I don't. I I will say one thing. Like you mentioned earlier, the Crusades, mm-hmm. and you mentioned Marco Polo, where we also have white characters or white actors portraying non-white characters, mm-hmm. and I think the reason why. And we discussed it a bit at the time as well for each of those, but not in as much detail. And I think part of the reason is both of those stories either have missing episodes or are completely missing and they're in black and white. Mm-hmm. I think had we been able to properly watch those stories, we may have had a different response. Also, for the most part, and this is a bit of an exaggeration in the part of the Crusades because the Crusades are being looked at from a particular lens, which is the point. Mm-hmm. Those cultures aren't as monolithically presented as Chinese cultures here. Um, and also as well, on both of those stories were presented characters across the various um, align- uh, spectrums of the alignment because yes. S- Saladin is presented in a very positive mm-hmm. way. 
yes. again versus that fucking scumbag uh, would be yeah. rapist and also the guy that helps Barbara he's presented in a positive mm. light same way in Marco Polo uh, the Emperor Kublai Khan and mm. uh, Ping Cho I, I, I mm. had to think which is the right one to say they're presented in a positive light whereas like Tagana yeah. is a Mongol and he's presented in the negative light so there's a cross there's no positive Chinese character here Right. There's no. not all oh, we're, and so, so so. What's your final score? Sorry, I'll give it a three because I have to give it something. Yeah. Um, and giving it less than a three, I think does the other characters a disservice, and I don't want to do no. that. I know, like, like it's fair, like, but like that three is Leela, Jago, and Lightfoot. And Lightfoot. <laughs> they get a point each. <laughs> Um, so, right, like you, I kind of, I like, I, I, I kind of, I did struggle with this, right? Because for a long time, I've really liked this story, really liked this story. I mean, like, I, for fuck's sake, I, this gave, this gave us Jago and Lightfoot. This gave us that amazing mm-hmm. big finish series, you know? Uh, no, not to say like that, you know, that's always the case of like where like the, the, the bird of something always comes from a very positive bird. Um, so there's so much that I love about this story, right? I love science fiction, you know that, and horror. And setting them in the Victorian era, in the, it's something, the atmosphere of the time and the history of the time, there's something there that just adds so much atmosphere to these type of stories, to anything. Like uh, for my first, when I first started getting into tabletop RPGing, it was a Victorian steampunk setting that we got, that we started off mm. with. So We've always been... Which had many Doctor Who. Many, 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 fine. <laughs> but we've always been bought into that side of things, you know? Um, like, so the setting... Um, the setting and the story topic is great. Like, the um, the the missing girls, the fucking time-traveling madman with his cult of followers. Just, like, mm. you don't put a nationality on them for the time being, but just a cult of followers or fanatics that are out there kidnapping women to help fucking feed this guy, and it's the Doctor and co trying to stop him. It's a great setup for a story, especially if you put it in Victorian London. Every cast member, and I would say every cast member, gives a fucking standout performance. And it's so, in like one person's particular case, it really shouldn't have been that case, but gives a standout performance. But the four heroes are absolutely incredible together. They're so good. They could nearly have their own show. You could nearly separate this away from being Doctor Who and you could have the Doctor, Leela, Lightfoot and Jago have their own fucking spin-off. And mm. I'd definitely watch it. Um, like, so... Th- uh, those are the positives. Now, we've talked about, and we've said it for multiple occasions where it's been problematic decisions in the production of certain stories. We also forgot to talk about um, the Romans, which we both love. Uh, we go, but there's also that creepy fucking sexual predator element to Nero. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about it and I was like, how, like, like we give that a five. And I was like, how much can stuff from the time affect the outcome of a story? Okay. So the way that the Chinese are treated by, say, the police in this, or even like the, the woman that's abducted by Chang. The terminology and the way that they treat 
anyone that isn't British, given the when it's set and where it's set, is is accurate, right? Mm. Especially now, especially with the element that we're presented, the the, the criminal element, mm. the seedy element, everything there, I would say is. It, it's accurate. It's and it's annoying that there isn't a counterbalance to that from that same community. Like there's no heroic Chinese character. Mm. So that's where like I'm like, okay, look, it's it's set in a certain setting where certain attitudes are being portrayed. I do I don't think you can you can give out you can give out about it, but you can't give out about it too much because look, this is what happened. This existed. Mm. This was a thing that we, we have to learn from and you you learn from it by watching it portrayed or reading it in a book or something, you know? Um, but that argument only goes so far. There should not have been a fucking Caucasian actor in Yellowface playing a lead antagonist. There shouldn't have been. And it, it, it just, it really, it really, really fucking galls me. I don't like it because you're unfortunately, you're, you're stick. You're pin, putting a pin into a character that there's always going to be this little asterisk beside him that is like, oh, controversial character because you have to look into this, and also you're putting a fucking pin on that actor's legacy because he did this, yeah. and it's like, and like you have actors like from like you know, the um, I think the golden age of Hollywood is like the forties and fifties. You have actors that like, like you have Caucasian actors that made their careers based off playing people in Yellowface. And like it's like outside of that, then like they're actually really good actors, but then they're more known for being this type of thing. So here we again we have that sort of scenario. Um, but the, and then the real kicker is the the doctor just not doing what we have seen the doctor do before, and we'll see the doctor do again, which is call out that type of bullshit. Yeah. No. But like, and this is things like we've said it before, and it's actually it's true. The Doctor's not this fucking hundred percent infallible character. Like the Doctor has his own biases, he has his own fuck ups, he has his own bullshit, and we're going to see it even into the modern era. And you're you're going and you're going to see it into the modern era where, um, lately within the last number of years, there has been the you know quote unquote culture war. Where mm. stuff from before has been like it's being reevaluated with modern eyes, and depending on how that is framed to you initially, it's um, it's a, a good or a bad thing. Like so, for ages there was this thing of like ban everything that was inappropriate. It's like no, the trigger warning system that Warner Brothers put into place and even Disney put into place for now is that. That's the right way to do it. You warn people ahead of time to say this is a product of the time. So, like, and if you if you don't like it, you don't have to you don't have to watch it. But just be aware that this is a product of its time, and this one is a product of its time. The great thing that really fucking annoys me is that it's it's something that I love as well. And like you, I'm struggling with the scoring on it. I really am, and. And I like we like we have no like we've said we've we've allocated no kind of points based system to like oh this loses X amount of marks and this loses mm-hmm. X, and then it comes down to like how much we enjoyed our viewing experience, and like despite everything like I still enjoyed watching the story because of the, the elements of it that I liked, so I'm giving it a four out of five. Yeah, 
Okay, so this is the last story of the season. Mm. So I was trailing behind you anyway. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> um, now, on average, it hadn't affected things too much. Um, that's why I checked something there. You know, we haven't done it. Um, on average, it hadn't affected things too much. Mm-hmm. However, ooh, ooh. So I gave it a three. Had I given the story a four, mm-hmm. our combined average for the season would have been a 4.02. Mm-hmm. Because I gave it a three, that drops our combined average to 3.94. So it is no longer an average mm-hmm. 4.0 or higher season. Your average for the season is 4.17 and mine is 3.71. And that's across six stories hmm. um in that the lowest you gave anything was 3.5 that was master of mandragora mm-hmm. which is also the last historical-esque story we have mm-hmm. um and your highest was the hand of fear my lowest is this one yeah <laughs> i give master of mandragora a 3.25 um and my highest is also the hand of fear um I've only given two stories a four or higher. That was Robots of Death last week that I gave a four and The Hand of Fear. Mm. Everything else for me has either been doing three, 3.5, or 3.25. So overall, I've been sort of ranking this season lower mm-hmm. than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but 4.0 versus 3.0. Yeah. It's actually the biggest gap we've had. In a while. Since... I'm trying to see when's the last time we had like a full point in the difference. Was it robot? No. Uh it's been a while. Planet of Spiders came close. What was that? Carnival of Monsters. Carnival of Monsters. Yeah. It's the last time we had over a point in the difference. And that was weird. You gave it a two point five and I gave it a point. Jesus Christ. And that was back in season ten. I think since then it's usually been like point five either way. Uh, just going back there, I think our biggest uh, differential was Colony in Space. There's a there's a there's a two point gap there between you and me. Yeah, well, that was before that was before Colony of Monsters. So the yeah. most recent one was the yeah. Colony of Monsters. Uh, um, and like it's like I I if certain like again what if if certain things hadn't been done, this story could have been a five. It really could have. It had all the hallmarks to be a mm. five, and unfortunately. It's fucking not to be. But as always, we would love to hear your thoughts on this. Did you agree with the scoring? Did you not agree with the scoring? Uh, so please let us know. Yeah. And next week we'll be starting a whole new season. Mm-hmm. With, you mentioned earlier. The Horror of horror Fang, Rock. horror Fang Rock. Exactly. So till then. Bye. Bye.